Fortnightly podcast about some great stealth slash stealthy video games and also some rubbish ones. On every episode, we go in-depth and all spoilery on one specific game and we discuss whether said game stealth and its boom-boom are up to snuff. My name is Colin Mahern and joining me on this episode is someone who is definitely not a bat. It's Adam Carroll. Good evening. And alongside him is someone who is definitely not a billionaire. It's Josh Wise. <laughs> Hello. That extra cash would be handy. It bloody yeah. well would, would at the minute. Yeah. Yeah. Be handy. Yeah. Being a bat... We can leave it off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Before we chat about the game we're going to be discussing today, we do need to get into the right headspace. And that means looking at what was happening in the world on and around the date that today's game came out. So grab your party hats and confetti and all of that business because (laughs) tonight we're going to party like it's August 25th, 2009. Yes, we're going back, what's that, 14 years ago? Mm. And a day later, on the 26th of August, Channel 4 announced it would not be renewing its contract with Endemol to air Big Brother any longer. It was the end of Big Brother. And then it went to Channel 5, Mm. to limited success, would be (laughs) fair to say. And now it's beginning a new life on ITV2. So you just, you can't kill Big Brother, no matter how hard you try. On the 28th of August, music group Oasis were scheduled to come on after Block Party at a festival in France. They didn't, and in fact, they broke up that very night. That's more recent than I thought it was, weirdly. In capitalism news, on the 31st of August, the Walt Disney Company announced it had acquired Marvel Entertainment for $4.24 billion. That's a steal, that. Now. 100%. In music, celebrating its eighth week at the top of the charts in America, it was Beyonce and Jay-Z with Crazy in Love. No. 2009. That's nuts. That's what getting old feels like. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, topping the charts in the UK, different, it was David Guetta and Akon with Sexy Chick. Oh, wow. Wasn't that the... Damn, she's a sexy chick, I think. <laughs> I actually think I may have played this song quite quite a few times. Bit of, bit of rotation on, on, on yeah, the playlist. A bit of rotation in me, in me ears, yeah. The number one movie at the box office. Let me have a go. Inglorious, Inglorious Bastards. Unbelievable. Yes, I never get these. Yeah, it was the number one film in both America and the UK. But yes, that is what was happening. Yeah, in the world on and around the date that today's game came out. But now let us discuss the game that we're going to be talking about today in a segment we like to call Back of the Box. And yes, the game we are talking about today was the start of a quadrilogy. It was Batman Arkham Asylum. Maybe there are some people out there, some young'uns, 
who don't really know what Batman Arkham Asylum was. So let me tell you what it was. It was a third-person action-adventure game where you punch baddies loads and you tie them up on gargoyles, all while wearing a fancy dress costume. The platforms and release dates for this one. So first, it came to PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. As I say, its first release date in North America on the 25th of August 2009. A couple of days later, then in Europe and Australia, it came out. It came to PC in September of that year, the 15th in North America and the 18th in Europe. A couple of years passed when all the, the rabid Mac users were crying. When are we getting our Batman? <laughs> well, you got it on the 3rd of November, 2011. Then it got a couple of years passed and we got a re-release for the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Something called Batman Return to Arkham, which was uh, remasters of Asylum and City. And that was on the 18th of October, 2016. And not great either, by the way. In 10 days time, when you, dear listener, are listening to this... You'll be able to play Batman again <laughs> in Batman Arkham Trilogy. Yes, on the 13th of October of this year, it's coming to Switch. Just to tick off the final box for the Batman games. So yeah, that's where you can play this game. Uh, so this is where we look at the back of the physical box. And I actually have my PlayStation 3 copy here uh, in front of me. Huh. There isn't an awful lot here. Like... I looked at the manual, I still have the manual here, and the manual's very dry, there isn't kind of much in there. Mm. But the yeah, the back of the box has Welcome to the Madhouse, with the Joker there looking all menacing. Mm. The, the only thing I suppose that is a bit worthy of comment is the four screenshots, and there's a little blurb under each. Mm. On the PlayStation 3, it says, Plays the Joker challenge maps, available for download oh, yeah. uh, only for PlayStation 3, oh. which is something we, we might mention later. Also says, Confront Gotham's most notorious lunatics, including the Joker, Harley Quinn, Bane, Poison Ivy, and Killer Croc. It says including, but I think that's all of them. <laughs> but there's, there's one thing here. It's that third one where it says, Utilize Batman's detective skills and cutting-edge forensic tech to gather evidence and clues. Mm. I know it's something you want to talk about later, Josh, so... Yeah. It's not wrong, but yeah, we'll get uh, to so it. So this, then, is the part where I recap the story for in, in spoilery fashion for, uh, for you lovely listeners. And like the game does, I will assume some prior knowledge of the Batman. <laughs> I won't explain who, who the Batman is. So... The story begins with Batman driving a detained Joker in his Batmobile to imprison him at Arkham Asylum. And while this is happening, a number of Joker's crew have been moved from Blackgate Prison to Arkham Asylum. There was a fire at the former, which ooh, it seems a bit suspicious. <laughs> and it is, because as Joker is being accompanied to his cell, he escapes. Oh, no. Batman then fights off some goons the Joker has let out of their cells as well as Victor Zaz, who doesn't put up much of a fight. And if I'm remembering correctly, around this point, Batman learns that Joker's number one accomplice, Harley Quinn, has taken Batman's number one pal, Commissioner Jim Gordon, hostage. So Batman, who has a pretty full play by this point, finds Joker in an area with a massively muscly Arkham prisoner. Why they're muscly will become more obvious as we go on, but Batman defeats them and Joker ultimately escapes 
promising that Batman is going to have a pretty shitty evening, and he does. Batman begins to track Gordon's location then with his magic bat eyes that make him see through walls and stuff. More on that later. And barring a brief detour to crush the bones of some people that are trashing his Batmobile, Batman tracks Gordon down to the medical facility of Arkham Asylum. And it's here where he has to save some doctors from Joker's thugs. One of these doctors, proving more pivotal narratively than the others, and that's the head psychiatrist at the asylum, Dr. Penelope Young. So Young heads to, after she's saved, she heads to her office in Arkham Mansion as she insists that she's got some pretty important notes in there. So she needs to get to them before the Joker gets them. I'm sure it'll be fine, and those notes won't bring about any sort of catastrophic incident. <laughs> so then after some trippy hallucinations during a run-in with the Scarecrow, Batman saves Gordon from Harley Quinn. He then finds Bane, that, uh, who has been experimented on by the aforementioned Dr. Penelope Young. Then he gets pumped with this thing called Titan because of Joker. Batman and Bane fight. Batman wins. Batman then heads to a back cave he had built on the island and it's here where he learns more about what Titan is. So basically, Dr. Young was developing this serum, Titan, in order to help come up with a cure for patients at Arkham Asylum that would, according to her in-game bio, quote, restore sanity to the more deranged of Gotham City's supervillains. Uh, magic, whatever. <laughs> Batman realises at this point that Joker's going to use it to take over Gotham and, you know, be a bad prick so uh, yeah batman tries to find dr young also i can't remember what point this is revealed but joker secretly funds the project too obviously because he's going to use it for nefarious means eventually after a run-in with scarecrow where batman has to relive his parents death he rescues dr young from zaz uh, it's a brief celebration though because the doctor gets exploded by joker who has already stolen the formula for Titan. So yeah, things going a bit pear-shaped for Bruce. Uh, Batman then has to save the warden of Arkham Asylum, Quincy Sharp from Harley Quinn, before heading to the Botanical Gardens of Arkham Island. The bat is going here because this is where Joker is producing Titan. Joker wants to create an army of these muscly boys uh, using Titan. I think Batman even says something like, an, he says an army of a thousand banes. So that's... Kind of imagine that. That's what we're talking. So Batman shuts production down after a fight, but he must then track down an antidote for what Joker is producing. So then our hero meets Poison Ivy at the gardens, who says he'll find something to create said antidote if he's able to head to Killer Croc's lair in the sewers. So Batman then learns that Ivy's used some Titan on her plants, so then they start to kind of take over Arkham Island. And this is also where Batman has his final run-in with the Scarecrow before getting to Croc's lair and gathering some of these spores for a Titan antidote. Before Batman heads back to Poison Ivy, he learns that Joker is trying to decontaminate Gotham's water supply with Titan. So Batman stops that. Very good. Then he faces off against Ivy and a giant boring plant. And Batman wins, which is lovely. So, you know, it's, it, it's kind of, he's, he's turning it around here. Batman then heads for Joker's location for the final showdown. And after Batman's done tussling with some of Joker's gang, Joker decides to do one last thing to kill the Batman. Joker injects himself with some Titan to become an abnormally muscular Joker with a mohawk for some reason. I don't know, I never really understood that. But after a far from memorable battle, Batman defeats the bad guy and all is right with the world. Then... Gordon tells Batman that the Titan is wearing off of Joker and his goons and all the prisoners are being put back in their cells. So Batman flies off into the night. But post credit scene, 
we see a crate of Titan floating on the water around Arkham Island and hands come up and grab it and pull it down under the water. Who it is, is randomised. So it'll either be Scarecrow, Bane or Killer Croc. So that is your story of Batman Arkham Asylum. So now let us talk about who made this game. So the developer was Rocksteady Studios, a studio founded by two men, Jamie Walker and Sefton Hill, on December 13th, 2004, in London, England. Now, I'll mention this here rather than later on, but in order to begin this venture, uh, they needed a couple of bob, naturally. So one of the founding investors was publisher IDOS Interactive, which out of the gate owned 25.1% of the company. And I mentioned that it was out of the gate because of another thing I'll say in a second, but back to the two founders of Rocksteady. So Walker and Hill had previously worked at Argonaut Games, which had closed down a few months prior. Argonaut Games, probably most famous for developing Star Fox on the SNES and Croc Legend of the Gobbles on the PlayStation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Rocksteady's first game, however, was a PlayStation 2 and Xbox first-person shooter that launched in mid-2006 called Urban Chaos Riot Response. Oh, I love game. that game. It, I've never played it. It is apparently pretty decent. Yeah, it uh, is. But it didn't set the world on fire by any stretch of the imagination. So we're still talking about a relatively unknown Rocksteady. Just to quickly just garnish what you've just said, right? Do you know... That I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it the game that finished Argonaut off. That's probably not true, but it is the last game that they, that, that, that they made. Do you know what it was? I don't. <laughs> it was Catwoman the Game. Oh. Yeah, and it tied into the Halle Berry film, which is awful Ooh. stuff. But it's funny that, that Walker and Sefton Hill went, like, from Argonaut. Fair enough, they do Urban Chaos, and then they go into the same universe, like, licensed universe. Just a nice little tidbit. That is a nice little tidbit. Then, in the spring of 2007, publisher IDOS Interactive gets the rights for a Batman game. And as lead narrative designer Paul Crocker told USA Today in August 2009 for an article titled The Rest of the Story, Batman Arkham Asylum, IDOS came to Rocksteady to make the game and Rocksteady were up for the challenge. So, the developer created a concept in May 2007 and then they entered full production in September. So it all came together pretty quickly. Speaking to CBR.com in March 2009, producer Nathan Barlow spoke about the positives of working with an established character in the world. He said, quote, The biggest change when working on a licensed property is that you are already working within an existing brand. With respect to Batman, the history of his universe is both rich and comprehensive. This means that you are able to answer a lot of those whys or wherefores early on in production and really focus the team on what is important. Barlow also told CBR.com that it was important for Rocksteady to give attention to Batman's detective side. He said, quote, We made a conscious decision from the start to include the detective aspects of Batman in our designs and ideas. Uh, This was singled out from day one as Batman is the world's greatest detective. And we felt this hadn't really been touched upon in previous titles. So early on in the process, the design was made to bring Paul Dini in to write the story for this new Batman game. And it's worth pointing out, Dini, as well as Superman the Animated Series and Freakazoid. Do you remember Freakazoid? Oh, it's quality. Uh, Dini had been working as a writer on Batman-related comics and cartoons for years. He wrote on the new Batman adventures, Batman Beyond, and the much-lauded Batman the Animated Series. In short, 
he knew Batman pretty well when he got the call. Yeah. So in April 2009, Deanie spoke to CBR.com about where Rocksteady was with regards to the story when he was brought onto the project. So he said, quote, At the time I was brought in, I'd asked DC Comics and Rocksteady were investigating the idea of doing a Batman game set within Arkham Asylum. The art team at Rocksteady started on some preliminary designs with the idea that Arkham was originally a huge estate set on an island connected to the Gotham mainland by a bridge. As for what characters to use, that was fairly open, though it was a given that as this was Arkham, the Joker would be heavily involved. Batman Arkham Asylum was revealed via the cover story for Game Informer's September 2008 issue after being teased a month prior by the magazine. Then in December 2008, IDOS and Rocksteady announced that Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill, who played Batman and the Joker respectively in Batman the Animated Series from the 90s, would be reprising their roles. Speaking to GameDeveloper.com in October 2009, game director Sefton Hill spoke about the thing in Batman Arkham Asylum that's often lauded as the thing, which is the combat. He spoke about how it was a tough nut to crack for Rocksteady, though. He said, quote, Combat was probably the biggest design challenge that we had because we wanted to create something that was unique for Batman. Also, we, we had the philosophy that if it's something that's simple for Batman to do in his world, then it should be easier for the player to execute as well. That's where the combat simple controls came from. The combat in the final game is actually the third combat system that we had. That was quite a challenging area because we really wanted it to feel fresh and new for Batman. There are things we'll get to in the marketing and press coverage section anyway, but that is essentially the story of Rocksteady Studios up until the launch of Batman Arkham Asylum. So the publisher then, as already mentioned, IDOS Interactive, and I, I had completely forgotten this until... Uh, doing research for this podcast like uh, i thought it was a warner brothers games published game mm. but as far as i could find out warner's involvement wasn't huge i mean batman yeah but aside <laughs> from that i couldn't find much so but you know we, we'll talk about warner another time maybe arkham origins if you want the idos interactive story from when it was founded up until 1998 have a listen to our commandos behind enemy lines mm. episode so i'll pick up the story from here so first idos the thing that's worth mentioning is that in 2002, IDOS established an imprint called Fresh Games. And under this label, the company would publish localised Japanese games that they saw as slightly more unusual. So games like uh, Mad Maestro and another game called Mr. Mosquito. Now, I don't know much about Mr. Mosquito, but what I do know is that you're quite the sneaky mosquito. Oh, yeah. So that is in our big spreadsheet. So we will get to Mr. Mosquito at some point. Then in 2003, IDOS set up a developer called Beautiful Game Studios. And this is notable because this studio would be making future entries in the Championship Manager series <laughs> after the split from previous developer and the developer that would go on to make Football Manager Sports Interactive. There's some, it's, it's a shame there's no stealth in that. There's some real <laughs> juice in that story. A year later then... Uh, a lot of big stories that would have serious changes down the line in the industry over a couple of years. In 2004, IDOS Interactive acquired IO Interactive, who up to that point had released the first two Hitman games and third-person shooter Freedom Fighters, which is, you know, definitely a story for another time. Plenty <laughs> of time to talk about them. In 2005, IDOS was in financial trouble, so... 
people came sniffing and one private equity firm called Elevation Partners came in and valued the company at £71 million. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this is because there's a few notable people involved with the firm. One was former EA president, John Riccicello, and another name is the singer <laughs> Paul Bono Hewson. Yes, what? the lead singer from U2 at one point was maybe going to own Idos Interactive. <laughs> Holy ah! Jesus. This is huge. It broke my brain when I saw that too, yeah. Why was he thinking this? Why did he want that? He wants to diversify his portfolio. <laughs> and I'm sure he probably used that phrase, Josh. A day later, British publisher SCI Entertainment swooped in, offered £74 million, and the deal was done on the 16th of May. Ian Livingston, a man previously mentioned in our Commandos episode and will be mentioned later in this episode, was the only board member that survived the acquisition. Rest of them hoofed out on their arse. Mm. Fast forward a little to 2006, and this is where Warner come in. Warner Brothers begins licensing some properties to SCI, or IDOS, and Warner Brothers grabs... 10.3% in shares. So they get a bit of stake in the company as well. A year later, in 07, the publisher sets up a new studio in Quebec, Canada called IDOS Montreal. We have spoken about them a little bit on Deus Ex The Fall and Tomb Raider episodes. But again, Deus Ex, and we'll talk about IDOS Montreal another time. In September 2007, SCI slash IDOS released a statement. This is mad, actually. I forgot about this. Released a statement to the London Stock Exchange saying that they'd been approached and expected an offer, right? They were going to sell again. But then, oh dear, in January 2008, they said that the takeover now wasn't happening. So the share price dropped by 50% <laughs> and the CEO and three other big wigs resigned. Oh my God. <laughs> An absolute calling. Uh, but after a bit of a, a tough time with money, in February 2009, Square Enix comes in with a bid of $84.3 million for SCI slash IDOS. And on the 22nd of April, Square officially took over the company. And that is the quite eventful, truncated, believe you me, uh, story of IDOS Interactive from 1998 up until 2009. Mm. So sales then. In the UK, Batman Arkham Asylum topped the all-format UK charts for two weeks after its launch. And it was the 24th best-selling game of 2009. One place above Guitar Hero World Tour and one place below The Sims 3. In America, in the month of August, it held two of the top five spots in the charts, both the 360 and PS3 versions. And overall sales then, there's some debate over this. So, as of October 2011, according to a Variety report, Batman Arkham Asylum has sold 4.3 million copies. That's the often touted most recent number I could find. I've also seen 9.5 million as of 2014, but I'm not as confident in that because I haven't seen that number reported in as many places. But either way, I can tell you that everyone involved was very happy with how this game <laughs> sold, pretty much. Uh, critical reception then, on PC and PlayStation 3, this has a Metacritic score of 91, while on Xbox 360, it has a Metacritic score of 92. And that is your Batman Arkham Asylum, back of the box. So we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back to chat about the marketing and press coverage of Batman Arkham Asylum. But what you're going to do, dear listener, 
is listen to the Batman Arkham Asylum breakout trailer, which is kind of the first big trailer for the game. So take a listen to this, and then we'll be back to talk about it. security. How's a guy supposed to break out of here? Don't be a stranger. He surrendered almost without a fight. I don't like it. At least he's back where he belongs. Get up! I set a trap and you sprang it gloriously! Now let's get this party started! There's no escape, Joker. I don't want to escape. I'm having way too much fun. It's over, Joker. Over? Why, my dear delusional Dark Knight... Hasn't even begun. <laughs> All right, then, let us chat about some of the press coverage on Batman Arkham Asylum prior to its launch. But before that, let us look at some pre launch marketing and what the listener just heard, which was the audio from the Batman Arkham Asylum breakout trailer. So, this was not the first trailer for the game. The first trailer for the game, the first kind of trailer reveal of the game, which was on the 24th of November, 2008. It's a bit of an odd one in that, like, it just focuses on the environment. Yes. And, like, kind of panning shots. There is not a sniff of Batman in there. (laughs) It's just nothing. Then they released a teaser, and then they released this, the the breakout trailer. Like, it's a very well-produced, very slick, has... You know, shows you a bit of story, a bit of the setup, shows you some gameplay. Like, it ticks every box. It's a very good trailer. And it makes for dull podcasting content because we're sitting here going, yeah, that's a bloody trailer. And, uh, you know, you just sort of have to go, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. They weren't shy of a trailer. The amount of stuff they did for this. And and that is a, a little bit of the issue is that like a lot of stuff they did was super slick, really effective, but in a lot of cases not terribly interesting from a historical standpoint. Looking at it from our sort of advantage of time, we, we can sort of forgive them a little bit for going nutty on because you're right, there's like t- too many trailers and the marketing is bonkers and it's everywhere. But I guess at the time... They did just have a lot of pretty crummy Batman games. Like the idea that they had to overcome so much sort of fatigue and cynicism in people. So like maybe they thought, yeah, let's really go bonkers and and give this a bit of extra oomph or something. You know? Individual bosses had trailers and individual mm. vi- like Bane had a trailer. Harley Quinn had a trailer. Poison Ivy had a trailer. Mm. They did a little trailer for the Arkham Asylum prequel comic book. Like they just, <laughs> the, the amount of trailers is ludicrous. 
something that does have some talking points for us is the Batman Arkham Asylum behind the scenes uh, videos. So this was on the 25th of August, 2009, because the, the day the game came out. Because So what we're going to be talking about, we have a couple of clips here. This was, uh, all of these were included in a bonus DVD in the collector's edition of the game at launch. I did a bit of digging. I found some other like dev diaries and stuff like that, but I found like this is probably just a more comprehensive version of those dev diaries. So this first clip I wanted to play is audio of them talking about Arkham Asylum itself and how the setup for the game allowed them freedom to include any Batman villains they wanted. So you're going to hear three different voices. First voice is writer Paul Dini. Second voice is lead character artist Andy Coombs. And the third voice is lead narrative designer Paul Crocker. One of the things we really wanted to do with this story is as long as we've got Arkham Asylum as our as our theatre, so to speak, we were going to cast it with his greatest villain. Kind of like an ultimate Batman fighting scenario. So you're going to put him in a box, even if it's a relatively huge box, and fill it with threats he just can't escape from, his worst enemies of all time, the most violent, most unhinged, most nasty criminals he can fight. There's at least 30 or 40 characters that we've built for the game so far. When we started, we looked at who were the coolest villains that we really wanted to be in the game. Being at Arkham Asylum made it quite easy to put all of them in if we wanted. And then we looked at what would make the best gameplay, what would please the fans, started there and then just went for it. And I guess that is the joy of something like Arkham Asylum. It gives you a re like there's reason mm. for all of these people mm-hmm. to be in the one place. But the, an interesting thing there is like we created 30 to 40. What ones were left out, I wonder? Yeah. yeah. Was Two-Face created for Asylum and moved to City or... And it could also, like, because there's so many like Easter eggs and stuff, which is, again, something that we'll sort of touch on a bit later. So they, maybe they were... Lots of them were sort of, oh, you know, we'll, we'll leave a, a trace of so-and-so in, you know, you walk past a, a holding cell and it'll be something in there. Could could, could be something like that. Uh, this second clip I have is them saying that Arkham Asylum is an open world video game, kind of without saying Arkham Asylum is an open world video game. So the first voice is art director David Higo and the second voice is game director Sefton Hill. You can go in the sewers, you can go in the cells, you got the penitentiary uh, building as well, you go in the caves and of course you can just like uh, run everywhere you want because it's quite an open world. The whole game is persistent, there are no loading screens in the game at all, as you move around the game in a completely persistent world and uh, that's really important to us because it's important this feels like a real place. Hidden throughout the island as well are hundreds of secrets that you can move around and explore and get rewarded with. So the more you explore, the more the game's going to give back to you. Mostly fair, I think. Yeah. I would take Umbridge with no loading screens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was yeah. Say, I was like, no loading screens? I was like, what are you talking about? Every time I open a door, there's a loading yeah. screen. Yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And also, he was quite clever there, David Higo, because he took the hyphen out of open world and it was quite subtle. He was like, it's a pretty open world. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I can go back to the intensive treatment ward if I'd want to, but that's not really an open world. Yeah, it's not an open world. Mm. There, there's Metroidvania-ness to it. Yeah. But yeah, I wouldn't say an open world. No. Another clip I have is them talking about how they really wanted to get the cape right. It was very important to them. <laughs> so this one jumps around a little bit. So you're going to hear a lot of different voices. There's 
lead act, character artist Andy Coombs, game director Sefton Hill, and cinematic director Paul Bolden. So take a listen to this. Also with Batman, in effect, he, he was two characters. The, the first character being Batman himself, his body, but also his cape for us was basically treated as another character. The cape is obviously a big signature part of Batman. In the comic books and the graphic novels, you, it, the cape is used to almost define a mood in a way, and it almost has its own character. We wanted our cape to do that which was like a, a major time investment for us to get that to work. It's been quite a, a long slog for the cape. Um, it's quite a, a technical thing to get right. But we're really happy with how it worked out. Also with the cape, we wanted it to chart Batman's journey through the game. So when he had key encounters, we wanted him to, you know, like for example, if he was to have a fight with Croc, then Croc would damage his cape in some way, and that would constantly remind the person playing the game of their journey and what they've been through to get to the end of the game. Now, before we talk about the cape, let's talk about some of the pre-launch press coverage of the game, because this first article I have here, it ties in with all of those comments about the cape. So this is from an article posted on the 11th of May, 2009, posted to a website called GamingIndians.com. And the article was titled, IDOS Expects Batman to Score in the 90s. So, our old pal, IDOS Interactive Life President, Ian Livingston, is back on the podcast again. Uh, This time talking to the Indian Games website about Batman Arkham Asylum. So, this was after Arkham had been delayed, right? Uh, We didn't mention that, but yeah, it did get delayed. And he spoke about how the delay is just because they want to make the game as good as they can. But he also mentions about how much work they did put into that cape. So uh, Livingston said, quote, Everyone is so excited about Arkham Asylum. We're expecting review scores in the 90s and clearly when you have an amazing game like Arkham Asylum, you want to maximise its potential. So we think it's worthwhile going that slightly extra distance to make it the game it has to be. We're delaying it for the right reasons and no one is going to be disappointed because we've put in an enormous effort into it. For example, There was one person working on nothing but the cape for two years. So there are over 700 animations and sound clips attached to the cape alone. That's why it looks so beautifully realistic. What are you up to today, Brian? I'm cape again. (laughs) Cape again, yeah, that's me. It was uh, was a decent cape, right? I mean, it's a good cape. It is a good cape. It is a good cape. It is a good cape. Mm. That's a long time to be working on a cape. I mean, 700 animations and sound clips. Like, it is beautiful and it does, like, it flow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose we talk about Lara's hair on the the Tomb Raider episode. Tress FX. Tress FX. But even, like, Splinter Cell. The kind of soft material, the curtains and... All that. that. Do you know what though? I'm going to be an absolute bastard though. Oh, go on. Well, I bloody love the cape. Don't get me wrong. I bloody love the cape. And 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 fair play to this to this person working, you know, for two years on it and that. But I would like when it comes to the cape, <laughs> just a little bit extra. <laughs> think that, uh, some justification for it, right? Because and I know this is a bit nerdy, but I really like it in the movies and stuff when they sort of explain what goes on with the cape. Like, Nolan did it really cool because he was like, 
yeah, it's shape memory alloy or whatever. He's like, you put an electric charge through it and it assumes the shape of bat wings, right? And I'm like, cool, okay, I mm-hmm. can work with that. Tim Burton was like, yeah, it has sort of spines that jut out. And so when Keaton sort of moves his arm up, it assumes the shape of a bat. And then actually in the second movie, he's got a button and it kind of just, it like the cape turns into a hang glider and then it turns back again. Cool. Mm-hmm. In this, it's just sort of like, you can never really pan the camera around fully to see what Batman's doing with his arms. And, and the cape just sort of does what it does. And I'm always like, it's a lovely cape. Don't get me wrong. And if this fella's <laughs> listening to this episode of Stealth Boom Boom, God bless you. You did the Lord's work. It's brilliant. But what's making the cape do that? I want some sexy sci-fi explanation. <laughs> what's making the cape dance around the gaff? Like? What's, what's making it like when he glides? Like what makes it stay in the shape of the bat wings because it's just cloth yeah, sure look I don't know I want to know you know the, think of the effort that like Burton and Nolan put into like why how does that work all the lads out in the pub now after a day's work and everyone turns to Brian and goes Brian question for you right you're two years of this now and then you land that on him I'm like yeah good work Brian but how does it actually work <laughs> yeah <laughs> look there's my two pennies poor sorry, sorry for Brian I thought, the, I thought the cape was very it's- good Brian just to, to point that out another clip I have here was from the EGTV show from Eurogamer they called The Making of Batman Arkham Asylum this was posted on the 16th of July 2009 and the clip I want to play is of lead uh, environment artist Will Smith different one uh, <laughs> talking about how Rocksteady benefits from not being attached to Christopher Nolan's Batman movies so take a listen to this I like the fact it's not we're not limited to the sort of Dark Knight franchise I think it's like our own IP near enough we sort of do what we want we pick the best best bits from the Batman universe and just go ahead and build in fact one little tidbit prior to Arkham Asylum being announced it was revealed that Pandemic Studios who are now shut down but we, we will talk about them at some stage because of 2009's The Saboteur <laughs> but they were working on a Batman game for two years Yeah, EA were publishing it and that was going to tie in with the Dark Knight movie follow up from Batman Begins yes which was quite good but yeah I remember that it was like yeah two years into the thingy gone that's a shame another clip here is from GameSpot posted on the 30th of July 2009 just titled Batman Arkham Asylum, Kevin Conroy interview. And this is, well, that's what it is. It's Kevin Conroy talking to GameSpot at Comic-Con and comparing recording for an episode of a cartoon or a movie or whatever versus recording dialogue for a game, and I guess specifically Arkham Asylum. So take a listen to this. The process of working on the games is much more, much more complicated than doing an episode or doing a movie. Um, For one thing, Warner really likes to always have the cast together. Uh, doing recordings um, for the lo- for the uh, TV shows or the movies, so they're done like radio plays. We're all in a studio together, and there's a great spirit in the room. It's a lot of give and take and feeding off the other actors. Well, these games, when you do them, it's a very different experience because you're alone essentially in a booth for eight hours a day. It's four-hour sessions, two four-hour sessions a day. Imagine that and doing just line after line after line after line and you have to feed yourself uh, to keep the energy up and to keep it spontaneous. It's very, very difficult. At the end of the day, I am just wiped. You really are just completely wrung out. It is worth noting that that is the experience on Arkham Asylum because I think 
when I was researching for Metal Gear Solid, I'm pretty sure they did that all together, mm. if I'm remembering correctly, mm. I think. But yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk more about Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamlin, et cetera, et cetera, later on. Uh, this next thing I wanted to play, this is genuinely incredible, and I wish I could find all of it on the internet, <laughs> but I cannot. So, on the 24th of August, 2009, on Spike TV in America, there was this a special TV presentation aired called GTTV, Game Trailers TV, presents Batman Arkham Asylum launched. And yeah, all I could find was like the first half. I think it's a half an hour or or something like that with ads. And I could only find the first half on YouTube. Whoever uploaded it didn't upload the second half. And it's like, oh no, but it is phenomenal. It is fronted by a baby Jeff (laughs) Keeley. But uh, the first clip from that that I wanted to play is of lead narrative designer Paul Crocker talking about how Mark Hamill was just having the best crack whilst recording it. And so much crack that they actually included more Joker in the game than they had originally planned. Mark just seemed to have a great time just playing with being Joker. We we even increased the amount of Joker in the game based on his performance. Went back, recorded more stuff. And I think it really stands out. Like, it's, I, I'm going to talk about it later, but how he is just, like, always present. Mm. You're hearing him constantly yeah. over the tannoy and everything. Mm. This second clip is of the young Jeff Keighley talking to audio director Nick Arundel about how the music reflects the psychological journey that Batman goes on. So take a listen to this. Now this game is a sort of psychological journey for Batman, so how does the audio and the music reflect that? Um, well, we have some quite good moments. There's lots of references actually in the music to, to other bits of music that might have cropped up in, uh, in the Batman mythology. You would know it probably from kind of horror music type uh, sounds. <laughs> One interesting thing that I can't remember if he mentions in that one or if it was a different video about how every piece of music in the game is all centered around one theme. The arrangement changes then around that theme. Like he says, it doesn't have a Batman theme, a Joker theme, a Poison Ivy theme, hmm. blah, blah, blah. It's this one piece of music and then it, it's altered Throughout. That and do you know what? And it because it's like the it's the music of the asylum, isn't it? That's what's so good about it. But because that the thing that he just played there is The Shining. Did you did, did you are you right? Like it's the theme that yeah, plays when it, they it drive up to is. the Overlook. But he's changed the end yeah. key, and I've never realised that the four notes of the sort of asylum theme. How fitting is that? That's amazing. So. That is some pre-launch marketing and pre-launch press coverage of Batman Arkham Asylum. So we are going to take a quick break and then we are going to talk about our thoughts on the game. So we'll be back right after this. Right then, let us chat some more Batman Arkham Asylum. And just before we get on to our thoughts on the game itself, I want to know what your knowledge of Batman Arkham Asylum was before you played it for this very podcast. And I think, Adam Carroll, this is a good point to tell the listeners that you quite like Batman. I am a huge Batman fan, so this was like probably my most anticipated game probably of all time because I was just like going, this is going to be the best thing ever. Got the collector's edition and uh, 
that was disappointing. Because if you remember it all, it was a, a, the Batarang came with us. I do remember that. Yeah, so the Batarang came. If you look it up online, right, it actually looks pretty good. And I think the American version actually gave a case with it, which was like, we didn't get the case. We just got the Batarang that you stuck on a, like, a stand or something. But like, it looked pretty good. And I was like, oh yeah, that's grand. All right. And it was fairly like, it wasn't too expensive. But the problem was when I got it, I remember it's like, here it is. Oh my God. I opened it up and uh, it was so cheap. And it looked like somebody got one of those, like, do you know what, like a compass that you'd use in school. <laughs> it looked like somebody was after scratching it with that. It oh. was awful like, but yeah. It was a it was a great day when it came around. Though. What about you, Josh? Were you picking up the collector's edition? No collector's edition for me. No batarang. Smart man. Uh, <laughs> I just got it. I got it as a present. My sister bought it for me because it was nearly Christmas. I didn't get it straight away on release. I think I got it in like November. There was a pop up HMV in uh, Bedford, mm-hmm. and I remember just thinking like. Oh, I mean, I'll definitely play this because it's Batman and I love Batman, <laughs> all things Batman. So, yeah, I, as I said, I have my PlayStation 3, my original PlayStation 3 copy here in front of me. And I went back and checked. And this is the, genuinely, when you're doing a podcast about old games, this is such a handy feature when it, it'll tell you when you got the trophy. So I went back and checked and I apparently played this in March of 2010. On PlayStation 3, so... Christmas present, maybe. Maybe a Christmas present. But yes, we we all played it when it came out. And we will tell you now what we thought of it in 2023. So, for our reviews, we split them up into different sections. We first talk about the stealth of the video game. Then we talk about the boom boom, the more explosive baits, and just kind of other gameplay elements as well. We talk about the most noteworthy mission level or area in a game. We talk about what we thought of the story and the characters and the voice acting. And then we have a little miscellaneous section where we hoover up any other bits that don't fit into any of the other sections. Actually, just before we get on to our thoughts, there may be some people listening who didn't play along at home. So let me tell you what this game actually is. So Arkham Asylum is a third-person action-adventure game that sees you going around this open world, open space world, uh, mostly engaging in three different forms of gameplay. So one, she sees you exploring the world and unearthing secrets, sometimes returning to areas you've been in kind of, yeah, as I said, Metroidvania-like fashion. Another sees you leathering the bejesus out of bad guys as you try to build combos that'll give you XP and then skill points that allow you to improve your your Batman. And finally, there's your stealth element, wherein you must take out the aforementioned bad guys sneakily rather than leathering the bejesus out of them. And also, yes, you are Batman while you do all this, because, well, it would just be silly if you weren't really, and they call it Batman Arkham Asylum. So, yeah, let's talk about the stealth then a little bit more. And there's a lot... In Batman Arkham Asylum, right? But the thing that everyone points to is the punching and the kicking. And we are going to talk about that loads in, in the boom boom section. But we, we can't, namely because of the, our podcast name, <laughs> but we can't forget about the Predator Rooms, of course, which is the name for the game's more stealthy combat sections. So these are typically multi-level enclosed arenas wherein five to ten guards will be on their patrols. 
as I said, yeah, there, there'll be two to three different levels to these sections, as well as vents you can crawl through. And uh, on, on top of that, uh, these areas have ornate gargoyle statues that are placed up high above everything else. And you can use your grapnel gun, which is your, your grappling hook, to get up to these points in like a split second. No one can see Batman when he's perched atop one of these things as well. So you can like survey what's happening underneath. Why did the builders put in so many gargoyles day one? <laughs> Who knows? But I'm glad they did nonetheless. So in these rooms, your goal is to take out all the guards stealthily, as I said. The main reason for this in these rooms is that the guards will often have guns on them, which they won't in the kind of the, the punching, the kicking sections. And if you're caught by two or three, you're probably going to die. You don't have a radar or a minimap. You have something called detective mode. And in short, that allows you to see through walls and it deserves its own discussion. So we are going to I'll talk about that in a minute. But that's the gist. You can see through, when you, when you can turn it on, you can see through walls and see where your enemies are. So these rooms and how stealth works. I mean, there's no on-screen indication as to what the baddies can see. Like basically, if you are in front of a baddie, they will see you. There, there's no real way to judge how near you need to be to an enemy for them to see you. The game basically works on a vibes system, <laughs> right? And in most games that's not ideal. And here, I suppose it's not terribly ideal either. But I would say that it does, it mostly feels like it makes sense. But because you are going off vibes, it is always important to like break line of sights with walls or by going in vents or on top of gargoyles, whatever it is. Like the best defense is just not to place yourself anywhere near the enemies or at least mm. in from behind your ground, but in front of them, just avoid. And it is fair to say that it is two things, I suppose. It's, it's quite shallow and samey. Apart from a small amount of later rooms that introduce some elements that we'll probably talk about in a moment. But even saying that, like the bog standard predator rooms, I do think they're still enjoyable. Mm. You know, like you, you spend most of your time popping out of a vent when the time is right and doing a silent takedown on an enemy when their back is turned or you'll be perched atop the, one of the gargoyles waiting for the enemies to walk underneath and you press the X or the, the Y button or the triangle button on, on PlayStation and then you can tie them upside down mm. to said gargoyles and you have all the other guards going, oh, what's going on? And despite its fairly pared backness, like each room remains a fun puzzle for you to solve. Walking in somewhere, flying from gargoyle to gargoyle and taking stock of what's in the area. It doesn't require me to take out a pen and paper to plot my approach, but there is enough here, along with the act of just taking out guards yeah. to satisfy my Batman needs, <laughs> I suppose. The one thing I would say is I do wish that I had more reason to utilise my tools in stealth combat. Mm -hmm. or, or I wish that my tools felt more necessary than they are. Like, we'll get into the gadgets a bit more in the boom boom section later, but... They just don't lend themselves to helping you be a sneaky Batman. Mm. You can spray some explosive gel down one place and, you know, fly up to a gargoyle, wait for a guard to walk past and then detonate it. And, and yeah, that, that works. But the spraying animation takes too long. And I don't know, I, I just, I, I need more other ways to man manipulate the, the patterns of guards. Like there is an upgrade in here for something called the Sonic Batarang. And basically, that's a lure batarang. Throw it down, makes a noise, it's going to attract a guard. I like it, but its cooldown is so severe. 
as you know, we'll talk about cooldowns and the game maybe giving you too much power in certain cases. But like the cooldown with that was apps. It was mad. It was like, come on, pick up the pace a little bit. But so mm. I, because of that, I didn't use it as much as I would have liked, and thus rather than manipulating the patterns, I was kind of more working around their patterns. And that's actually another thing. It, it will tie more into when we talk about detective mode, but like, and listen, I, I'm not saying this isn't in the game, but I am saying that it's not as noticeable as is played up. So in a predator room, when you take down a baddie and another baddie notices, then that's meant to spook the remaining baddies. The more you take out, the more concerned Joker's goons will get. And then that's meant to make their movements more erratic as they get nervous. And like, I don't know. I do think their state changes, but I'm not sure there are any more than at a push, three different states. And that's fine. You know, like it feels like they go from relaxed to concerned to very concerned. It just, it doesn't stand out to me in, even when you compare it to a Metal Gear Solid, which is, I mean, Metal Gear Solid has three states. Like it's, you know, regular evasion alert. And here it just, I didn't think it was terribly noticeable. But like, overall, I did like the stealth sections and the ability to tackle some enemies stealthily. Mm-hmm. But I would like more options. Like, Adam, what, what, what did you think of the stealth overall? And I know even you wanted to kind of mention that first sequence where you meet Victor Zaz. Yeah, that scenario happens and you talk to these these guards and like like Zaz is on the, he's like holding this hostage and you're just having, to, you have to get down there and sort it out. And you just basically like swing over to one of the gargoyle things and just drop down from behind and take him out. And it's over in like, Five seconds. Yeah. And it's very un- underwhelming considering you're starting off with like a villain such as him. And as a beginning point with stealth, very weak. But like going off of what you were saying, Colin, um, with like the gadgets and stuff, completely agree with you. Because you do go into these rooms with the kind of intention of wanting to have a lot of fun and make these enemies paranoid or whatever and see what you can do. But as you said, like your gadgets are there. I think the one you were saying, the solar battering and stuff like I wouldn't have used that because I just just, just don't think it was satisfying. Like there's a lot of the things in that were in this game where I'd be feeling like, oh, it's just not satisfying to do that. I kind of felt the most satisfying thing to do was go into a room, get on a gargoyle statue thing and just jump down, try and take him out and zip away again. That's really kind of like the most satisfying thing you could probably do within this game when it comes to stealth. When you're swooping around the place, the fucking Batman goes fairly low and you're kind of going like, what? <laughs> like, Jesus, like, how would not seeing me when I'm doing that? And it becomes this repetitive situation that when you do get caught, you just kind of jump around to each gargoyle three or four times and they just don't know where you are. And that's it. Like, you're, you can start all over again. That's fine. To a degree, I don't think it's really exciting. But later on, they introduce, it's like, oh, we got you now, Batman. We, you can't figure out, figure out the situation here. No, we have you. They start putting, the enemies start putting like um, dynamite on the gargoyle statues. And then like they get given these collars that when you take them out silently, 
it kind of alerts the other gang and they all run to the body and blah, 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 blah. So when you take an enemy out, you're like, oh, fuck, right. And you, you zip away and then you go under a statue and you go, oh, shit. And you try to jump away again. This turns into an outright mess. And I don't know what you're supposed to do here. Like, you, you can't take them out silently. I don't really have a whole pile of gadgets to do stuff with. If you stun an enemy, it's not for very long. You can't fly around. The it's 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 the most bizarre setup that comes into the game. Like I think around mid the midway point or something like that. And because of this, it creates insanely frustrating sections. There's at least two or three areas that have like this setup, and the room could be full with maybe like eight, ten enemies. And I mean like. It can be punishing. Like as well, like within these areas, your strategy is just is is just gone. Because uh, like I found playing it this time around again, like enemies stick with each other yeah. all the time. That's why I wanted more ways to manipulate their patterns. I, I don't think the game gives you enough ways to to fuck with the guards, basically. Yeah. What about you, Josh? What was your your take on these predator sections in Batman? For me, the the stealth, I agree with every, pretty much everything was, was said. Like, it's, like, really easy and prescribed and um, wants for some variety. Definitely agree with that, Cullum. And and agree with you, Adam, as well. Like, I, I, I do think it's, like, they try to introduce these sort of complicating elements, and I think it does just sort of err on the side of frustration. What it is, for me... And I think why I don't really mind about its stealthy shortfalls is that it's very it's a very good Batman game. And it's a it's a Batman game way more than it's anything else. And so it doesn't really hold a candle to any serious stealth games. And I th- and I and I think for for it it has to do with what the um with what Sefton Hill was saying about the about about the combat, which basically boils down to it's easy for Batman to do these things in this world, so it should be easy for you. So f- for us, it's like, well, I just push a button. It's like doing an ollie in Tony Hawk's. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like well, I just push the button and he does this amazing thing, <laughs> amazing thing. And like, yeah, you just you zip up there, you land behind Zars, and you knock him out. And Batman wouldn't struggle with that. So I guess I don't struggle with that. And uh, I think you're spot on, Cullum. You know, it'd be, it would be really nice if if they did add, uh, you know, add, add a bit more variety, even in the predatory bits. And in fairness, they, they, you know, they do. But, you know, for a sort of point, you know, 1.0, this is, yeah, a little, a little under furnished. One thing that's very important when it comes to your stealth approach as the Batman is detective mode. And... Along with the combat, the punching and the kickings, definitely one of the things that people think of when it comes to Arkham. And like, as already mentioned, this is your special vision that allows you to see enemies through walls. And I think in my research, I saw that the team was inspired by Metroid Prime's scan visor (laughs) during development. That's what kind of spurred them on. But often... People refer to this type of mechanic in other games as detective mode. I'm I'm fairly sure I have on this very podcast and I will do in future podcasts as well. But basically, when you turn it on, the screen goes into this sort of x-ray vision where the majority of the world and Batman are slightly muted as they have 
uh, like a, a Photoshop uh, layer, like one color on top of them, kind of washing them out. You see all of the enemies within range showing up as either blue skeletons, and that means they don't have guns, or red skeletons, they do have guns. And you also see like interactable parts of the environment, like the gargoyles, the vents, blah, blah, blah. They'll all be highlighted too. And like, it's incredible. Like it gives you the jump on other enemies. It really allows you, I, I suppose, to feel like a predator in these predator sections. Mm. And in a game without any sort of radar or whatever, you do need something that helps you. And I suppose, you know, people want a Batman that is somewhat strong against unnamed henchmen. And this definitely puts Batman in a position of power. But that position of power is way too much. Like, way too much. You can turn on detective mode with the press of a button at the beginning of the game and just leave it on until you see the credits. Now, obviously, you wouldn't do that. But when it comes to stealth, most people are going to swing onto a gargoyle, press the button that helps you see the skeletons, and then just leave it on until all the baddies are knocked out. Mm. And that, that's pretty much it. Like, it is too much of a helping hand. Again, kind of like we were saying about the, the uh, how, how stealth has improved in future uh, mm. games. Like, we'll talk about future versions of detective modes at a later date. But here... A simple fix would have been that you can only use it when you're standing still or, or, or yeah, ha- had it on like a cool, like I was talking about having a cooldown, like stick detective mode on a cooldown. Like mm. I played this on PC, but as I already mentioned with my PlayStation 3 copy here, you could play as Joker on some of the bonus challenge maps on the PS3. Basically, the challenge maps allowed you to go back and replay certain scenarios in the game. The only reason I mention that is because when you play as Joker, he does have detective vision. But what he does is he puts on a pair of glasses and then you're put into this first person view, a bit like how Metal Gear Solid does first person. Once you move, he takes the glasses off and it's back to the regular view. Oh, right, just, I don't yeah. know, e- even some limitation like that. I do like it. It's very, it's, you know, it's necessary. It's mark on on the medium is, you know, massive. But being able to just have it on forever is giving way too much to the player. Hmm. Way, way, way too much. Yeah, that's fair. Because like, it would up the challenge, but then at the same time, if you didn't have it and you were jumping and then once you jumped, it went away. The game, it's not all designed for you to, I think the way it's all laid out you kind of need that 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 little mode on a lot of the time. It's a it's a hard call, but I do completely understand what you're saying. Yeah, no, I I, I think um, I do instinctively turn it off just because I love the art direction so much. But it is telling that sometimes I accidentally leave it on and then suddenly realise, oh god, actually it's been on for like a few minutes, actually, and then remember to turn it off because because <laughs> it is so damn useful. And I ultimately, I think they came down on the right side. You know, I think you you set you probably sell four million odd copies by giving people a little too much power. You know, rather than not quite enough and maybe frustrating them. But yeah, I I do agree, and and I think it changed. I think that and the combat, you know, had the biggest effects on video games. And I think a lot, in, I think weirdly, a, a lot of video games that followed Arkham Asylum actually did that sort of thing better. On the whole, 
they a lot of them learned that lesson quite quickly. And actually, if you look at something like The Last of Us with Joel and Ellie's superhuman hearing, mm-hmm. I think even that was managed a little better than this. It gave you a, a nutty power, but it really worked, right? I think that's what's, yeah, that that's Asylum's gift to the world. Every, every, everyone and their mums had detective vision, you know, Far Cry and all the rest of it. But on the whole... Yeah, it was a massive help and people sort of learnt that lesson pretty quick. So another part of the stealth of Batman, I'll actually just read out what I've written down here. I know they're not complex and I know that they're authored to a degree that stealth action shouldn't really be. And I know they have insta-fail. But the scarecrow bits are more than the sum of their parts. For Mm. my money. So... There are three scarecrow sections in total in this game, and they work like this. So Batman is in this 2.5D plane, avoiding the gaze of Scarecrow. Like it's a a searchlight. And Scarecrow is this giant figure in the centre of this nightmare land, basically. And Scarecrow will either be slowly moving his eyes from left to right and right to left, or he'll be be rotating on the spot. And if at any point Batman ends up in Scarecrow's spotlight emanating from his eyeballs, then it's an instant fail. And you go back to your last checkpoint. What you have to do is wait until Scarecrow is looking the other way and then leg it towards the next wall that's going to block Scarecrow's vision. It's it's basically, I don't know if this went across the water, Josh, but it's basically what's the time, Mr. Wolf? You know, it's that, that childhood <laughs> yeah. game, if that means yeah, anything yeah. to our <laughs> listeners. And like, there are minor baddies here as well sometimes that you have to just punch the shit out of. They're, they're skeletons. They don't pose much of a threat. That's all these sections are. And I, I should say, one of the things I love about stealthy games is the option to tackle things in different ways. Stealthily, boom boomily, and stealth boom boomily. You know, you start stealth, everything goes wrong, and then the guns come out. Monaco, what's yours is mine. I'm talking about you. <laughs> but the, these bits, they don't allow for that. You must follow the path and make your moves at the same time as any other player would make their moves. And that's a bit rubbish. But uh, I don't, like these scarecrow bits are a bit more than that because of other factors, like how it looks. Scarecrow, this ominous figure, instilling fear in this insignificant little, tiny little Batman that's running about the place, makes the task feel more grand than it actually is. Plus, like just Scarecrow as this powerful being that can manipulate your world is mm. just... It's it's a good conceit. It's good good spookiness mm-hmm. to it. I agree. There is something that's not. I think on the one hand, they're a nice change of pace, right? It's like a little bit like in a like a blockbuster shooter campaign, and then they throw you that one mission that's like really different, really sort of slowed down. It just kind of freshen up the palette a little bit. Whenever there was a scarecrow bit, I just thought it was a bit more like, oh, oh, cool, this is totally different, <laughs> and and mm-hmm. it's a nice inversion as well of what we were just sort of saying about like you've got a bit too much power in the main game. So it is nice in these bits, even though you're right, they are a bit prescribed, but it's nice to be sort of vulnerable to be like, actually now Scarecrow's got all the power and I've got to run around like I'm one of the guards or something and he's looking for me. <laughs> and that's what I mean. I, I think, yeah, when you dissect them into their individual parts, it's like, mm, yeah, not great. But like, w- a- as a whole, I'm not saying they're amazing, but I, I do think they're, they're decent mm. and a nice deviation. Mm. I suppose, from from the main game. So that is what we thought 
of the stealth of Batman Arkham Asylum. So we are going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about the Boom Boom as well as uh, the most noteworthy mission level or area that stood out to each of us. So we'll be back right after this. All right, then let us chat about the most noteworthy mission level or area that stood out to us. But before that, let us chat about the Boom Boom of Batman Arkham Asylum, which is the more explosive bits and fighty bits, but also just other gameplay bits as well. So, I mean, we've mentioned it loads. The the combat, the Batman Mm -hmm. combat. I mean, it's been aped numerous times and will be forevermore because they, you know, they they changed the game. So like in proper bust-ups, you can only do a handful of things, right? You can initiate an attack, you can punch and kick. You can counter an incoming attack. There'll be a little indicator above an enemy's head, little lightning bolts. And it's like, oh, need to counter that. You can dodge roll out of the way or over the top of an enemy. You can stun enemies with a little swipe of your forearm. And you can use some of your gadgets. Like you can fling a batarang. You can use your bat claw, which will drag an enemy closer. And I suppose you have two special moves as well, which you just press two of the face buttons together when your combo reaches a specific number. And like, that is it. In the big scheme of things, you don't actually have a ton at your disposal. But mm. the reason this game was lauded back then, and why I'm going to say it's great now, is that you have to mix and match from the handful of actions available to you during your, these combat encounters. So like, it's a piece of cake to pick up. But fun, because the game throws different enemy types at you that, re- that require different approaches. So like, for example, some, some enemies need to be stunned before you can hit them. Enemies with certain weapons, uh, little stun battens, they can't be attacked from the front. So you have to jump over them before you can attack. You attack them from behind. And there are these big units that need to be stunned with a batarang. It's been said numerous times, but you really go into this flow state. When you have a room of three different enemy types and you're jumping from baddie to baddie and you're seeing that combo meter go up a number each time a punch connects, it is a phenomenal, phenomenal feeling. And, and Rocksteady does help you obtain that feeling. And I think they do it in uh, it's such an astute way. Like, it's absolutely marvellous. Like, as mentioned, some could see the combat as too simplistic and like the camera can feel a bit heavy when you're swinging it around and you're trying to see where the next enemy is coming but they they help you obtain that flow state by making it so that batman will jump to the nearest enemy when you hit the basic attack button so if somebody is within a certain range again vibes based i don't know what the actual distance is you can press your punch or kick button. Batman will launch himself towards that bad guy or take a giant step in their direction and attack them all in one motion. And that one choice is the most inspired choice with regards combat because that keeps everything in this constant motion. It's always moving in this kind of rhythmic groove. You know, you're going three hit combo to this guy, three hit combo to that guy, Batarang, Batclaw, Counter, Stun, three a combo. You're dancing. What was it? Was it? I think it was actually on The Last of Us. Somebody said, we're creating jazz. Like, that's what you do in Batman. <laughs> this is creating jazz. <laughs> There's an action movie like quality to the combat too. Like, we are talking about Batman, obviously. That is something Rocksteady nailed. This feeling 
that, you know, strike me down. Is this the first mention of it? But the feeling that you are the Batman, <laughs> you know, taking out goon after goon, kind of like they're waiting for their moment to be taken down by the Batman. And like, e- even though you are using more often than not just the face buttons, Rocksteady has multiple animations for Batman. So it's always very visually interesting. And I, I should stress that the combat is, it's not easy per se. I don't think it's outrageously difficult on normal mode. It has its challenges. Like, say, maintaining a high combo. That's a bit of a challenge. Because, as I said, mm-hmm. Batman will leap to the nearest enemy if they are within a certain distance of you when you press the uh, punch or kick button. But if there's nobody around you when you press that button, your combo will reset. So they'll help you as long as you help yourself. You can't just mash. I mean, you can mash the buttons willy-nilly, but, like, you're not going to get those higher combos and be able to use those special mm. moves and, and all that. Like one one very, very quick thing is like there's such a, a thud to to every punch and kick and headbutt as well. <laughs> it's brilliant use of sound, mm. pure magic. Like all in all, it's responsive, it's fun, it's it's just it's brilliant. And and like a, a large part of what makes the Batman combat so great is almost indescribable which, you know, is good for a podcast. But I, I hope I've been able to detail some of its marvellousness. I just think it is, today, fantastic. Look, there's no denying it. It was a game changer when it, when it came out, right? It, it, and it went on, and to and it's always remembered as being, like, oh, the combat of Batman's incredible. Now, I think going today in 2023, I think the best to currently do it still is probably the previous Spider-Man games. Arkham created an insanely good blueprint when the flow works in these combat challenges it's as you said Colm it feels great does it work all the time absolutely not in my opinion like it never has I think there is that that thing that you're 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 mentioning where Batman launches towards the other enemy if he's in the right area whatever that to me was always impossible to figure out because I could never, I, I, I was never like, is that enemy too far away from me or what's the story? Like, what's going on here? So if I would direct Batman to go a certain direction, he would end up punching air and I'd be like, combo's ruined. I'd be like, for fuck's sake, <laughs> pain in the hole. And like, look, as you said, the, 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 the feel of the punching and the kind of cinematic nature of it all, it, it looks great and all that kind of stuff. And it's great when you counter like an enemy who has a weapon that feels brilliant. Fucking letters it into the face. It's, oh, it's unreal. But then there's things like you you have these combo moves like a cinematic, like a kind of a, a ground knockout where you hold L2 and triangle and Batman will jump to the to the enemy that's on the ground all starried up and stuff like that. And he'll just give him one last belt. That feels incredible. You can never cancel out of it. That's fair. Yeah. And that is so annoying. Like, so unbelievably annoying. Because you go for it, and then an enemy runs up behind you and goes, bang, and you have ruined your combo. You've also gotten hit. And it's it's so bizarre that I can't just, like, quickly, like, press circle and just kind of dodge and then punch your man back or something. It It just doesn't exist. So that's a real, real killer with the momentum of the combat in general for me. Now, it also, <laughs> this is kind of nitpicking, but at the same time, it's a small, it, it is something, right? 
And this has always been there. 90% of the time, you get like this, the final enemy, you get that cinematic final punch. Ah, Jesus, it looks desperate most of the time. Let's be honest here. Like, Batman flies in and he'll full blown, like, he'll be hitting him with his forearm or his elbow <laughs> or something into the face. And it just looks so hilarious. And then the enemy goes into, like, full ragdoll mode <laughs> or something. It's really weird that it's not, like, absolutely on point. Bang! Unreal tightness, considering we have Brian doing the, the fucking cave for two years. <laughs> so, like, when they've put so much detail in things and then they focus on the last punch of that group that, of enemies you just fought, but then it has this weird, janky kind of animation. It's really strange. But, like, overall, the combat still, though, feels when you do naturally get that flow, it, it is excellent, but it it does have its rough parts as well. The ground punch, that did annoy me, but it didn't kind of overwrite my feelings towards the rest of the combat. I just thought it was, it just fe- it still feels so, so good. I bloody love it. And, and, and I, I, yeah, the sound is brilliant. I love the way that Batman doesn't kill folk, but the sound, it, it definitely shatters their skulls when he hits them. It's brilliant. Um, <laughs> and like... It is funny because Spider-Man sort of fixed a lot of the stuff. That it, it, the Adam's point about the is spot on, where they just have faith in their own animations that they, they sort of go, well, all we'll do is zoom in and go in slow motion. But actually, it's we're not going to can any animations here. Like, it's all organic. And if that means Batman clobbers a fella with his shin... And the guy ragdolls into it like that's fine. We'll just stand by that. I think it's great. It becomes it's the it's the one thing where I think that design um, kind of ethos of let let's let's give the play, let's make this easy for the player like it's like it's easy for Batman. Uh, you know, it, it makes the most sense in combat in this game. That's the one arena where you just think, oh yeah, that's great. I love the way that when you finish a room full of people. Batman just fucking stands there and, and just like fixes his gloves, just like sort of will do a little flex and will sort of like check <laughs> on the little, like the leather of his gloves, just sort of like, it just little touches like that. Just like, oh, mm-hmm. that's fucking brilliant. It's, Can you yeah. remember how high of a combo chain you could get? Personally, I was never hitting like 30s. A lot of these games going forward, they want you to be hitting like 50 and 60 and stuff. And it feels like, that's what you should be kind of getting. 40, 50 combo and then you might mess it up and you're like, oh, brutal. I think I got, I did get a 50. It was in the outdoor bit when there's just absolutely loads of guys. I think I did though. Because the challenges are deadly hard. Like they're just so fucking tough. Yeah, I never, my thing is I, I never go for the ground takedown unless it's like the last guy in the room because it's bloody bait. You're absolutely right. And I, I, you getting caught in that animation is bullshit. Another thing you didn't like, the upgrades. Yeah. The thing is, in this game, they've got a load of stuff that makes sense and they do it really beautifully. Like, they'll just say, Alfred, I left the fucking shark repellent in the bat cave. Can you zip it in via plane, please? And he's just like, yeah. Or, oh, I left the whatever in the car, but literally in the boot of his car. Brilliant, by the way. Um... So just go to his car and get... That makes sense. You know, that's great. It's like, oh, it's the thing he didn't have on his belt. Fair play. 
But when it's just like, uh, yeah, now he can do upside down takedowns. It's like, would you just fucking learn that on the job? Like, what, what do you just, <laughs> why, why can't I just do that? You know, or what was the other one? Um, I think at one point it's just like, yeah, you just, you just, you just get to critical strikes quicker or, oh, now, oh, now he can, um, throw his batarangs at people in the middle of a combo and like knock them out. It's just like, well, I think he knew how to do that anyway at the beginning. Are you comparing it to Adam's quams with Tomb Raider and Lara Croft learning that she can use her axe to whack people? That is spot on. Yes, I am. And like, (laughs) it's fine. Like they have this, they have an XP system that just feels a little bit superfluous because it's like, Get people to get high combos. Brilliant. Why do we get them to get high combos? Well, because getting high combos is really fun. You enter into a flow state. It's really fun. Brilliant. Okay. Someone said that's not enough though. Okay, fine. What else do we give them? Uh, I don't know. What do games have? XP? Brilliant. What do they use that on? Uh, Batman learns how to do a high kick. Brilliant. Cheers. And it's just like, (laughs) not really. they're fine. It's never going to ruin the game, but I love. It does make me laugh when a skill tree is just. It exists because it exists, and also there is no. It isn't a tree. It's a. It's a skill branch that just runs laterally, and it's just like, well before the end of the game, everyone will unlock all of these things. It's just like, okay, mm-hmm. fine. It's 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 baggage but i don't it doesn't it doesn't ruin anything it's just they're they're a bit daft really especially when the game actually does a version of this quite well with organic means that make sense like i.e i left i only went and bloody left the line launcher in the car boot i'll go and get it you know like that's actually a good one so while while we're on the topic let's chat some gadgets then you just mentioned the line launcher which yeah allows batman to basically out out of create a flying fox like contraption out of nothing mm-hmm. or the bat claw that allow, allows him to like pull down walls Brilliant. and all all the gadgets at your disposal i know you were a fan oh, of them they they they're top notch they're absolutely top notch and it's so easy for a game to fuck up and it's weird how many games fuck this up and like stuff like dark tomorrow and batman vengeance where it was just like yeah, you have to scroll through menus of his stuff and loads of it you'll never, ever use. Arkham does a really good job of just mapping everything really intuitively. You tap one button and he does a batarang to the nearest thing. You hold that button, you press another button, you can aim the batarang. There's the homing batarang. There's the, the, the everything that you've seen in the movies, he's got it here and it's really intuitive to you. They did a very good job of folding away anything that was possibly fiddly or, you know, had some had presented some kind of problem. They, they nail every aspect of it. The, 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 the gear looks good in the world and, in, and it sort of, it changes the way that you think about level design and that's fucking nuts. Like that just doesn't really happen in many games. Like in this game, you start to get more stuff. And maybe it just doesn't happen for me because maybe my brain works, but it's just like, oh, now I'm just looking across like flat gaps because I have the line launcher. You you sort of realise that the level design is so nicely thought out that the gadgets kind of make you, you know, sort of think as Batman might just sort of like, oh, is that, 
can I get that with a, you know, with a batter, a remote control battering, you know, can I hit that or, you know, oh, my line launcher can reach that so I can go sort of across that gap. And they all work exactly how you want them to work and they feel really satisfying. Some of what you mentioned ties in with my next point here, which is, and I mentioned earlier, which is the Metroidvania-ness of Arkham Asylum. And how the world does change when you get the line mm. launcher or the bat claw. Yeah. And it, it opens up the world and it, it changes things. Like, you know, like most Metroidvanias, like, you know, you, you'll f- often find yourself coming across a wall that can't be breached or a gap that can't be crossed. And eventually you will be able to breach and cross. Mm. It's just not yet. Again, I want to stress, we're not talking about this alive open world like the reason you go to areas you once couldn't is to pick up these collectibles called riddler trophies they they come in a couple of different forms with the most notable ones being glowing green question marks that you'll find if you explore there are also riddles that require you to to find a solution within an environment you just walk up to something you press like the left bumper and the Riddler goes, oh, fuck it, you solved my Riddle, you bastard. Uh, and you also fa- find interview tapes of Arkham Asylum's inhabitants as well. And we're going to sc- discuss them more later on because I think all of us were fans of them. But the glowy question marks are definitely a bit of a grind, but the Riddles are a fun distraction. Like, all in all, there are 240 Riddler trophies. And without going uh, obsessive about it, I think I found 150-ish. Oh, bloody hell. So like, over half, you know? And like a large reason for that is because I wanted an excuse to spend more time revisiting areas <laughs> I was once in, just to see how the environments had changed or to try and unearth any secrets that I, I previously couldn't. And like every building on the Arkham grounds feels almost dungeon-like then in that regard, because after you complete certain objectives, Batman will obtain a new gadget. Like each new tool that you get, it provides more ways to get around and more ways to uncover the previously undiscovered trinkets on the mm. island. And, uh, but yeah, I do want to stress that. Like I, I said metroidvania this rather than call it an outright Metroidvania because it's not like you're always accessing entirely new parts of this world with each new gadget you acquire. No. That distinction is, is necessary. It's a long time since I've played the other games in the series, but the world of Arkham Asylum is just laser focused. Sure, some of what the Riddler has you do, you're you're grinding for Mm -hmm. XP, really. But there is very little unnecessary bloat in this world. So that then made me want to wander around it. And having these trophies gave me an excuse to wander around it. And and because it isn't too big, you don't have to go that far in order to see something mm-hmm. cool or to pick up a Riddler trophy or whatever it is. You know, oh, the the grounds have completely changed now because Poison Ivy's plants are everywhere. Mm-hmm. Or like it, it's, you know, it, it changes, not constantly, but, but you do see an evolution in the world. I just, yeah, yeah I liked fine. it. Big fan. We spoke about detective mode earlier, but there is... Uh, something we, we I guess it doesn't really fit into the stealth, which is why we'll talk about it here. But there is another aspect to detective mode that I know you wanted to talk about, Josh, which you feel is, would it be fair to say, undercooked? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I like the lip service that they paid it. And, you know, again, 
it they do get better in later games but i i, I do like they did a they did a, a decent enough job of sort of alluding to the detective elements in this game it's funny that it's, it's like so much of the time that you use de- detective vision it, it is really just for those combat scenarios but there are a couple of times where you will have to use detective vision to be a detective and do det- and detect things you know and i i liked early on when you have to find commissioner gordon and um Batman says to uh, Oracle, I'm setting up a crime scene, which I just thought was that. I mean, it's funny because no, he's not. It's just a square and he just goes, oh, there's a bit of tobacco over there. Cheers. You know, like, that's not, you've not really set much up. There's no do not cross tape or anything. It's just like, okay, fine. And, and actually, I don't really think he has the jurisdiction to officially set up a crime scene, but there you go, whatever. Um, but it's a brilliant thing for him to say, even though it's mo- mainly lip service, it's nice to bloody hear because he is a detective, nay, the world's greatest detective. And I do like how he looks at this tobacco and they basically do the thing that they do in the Sherlock Holmes books, in the Conan Doyle books, where the crux of it will be he'll look at Watson's shoe or something and he'll say, oh, you've been to the post office and Watson will go, well, how the fuck do you know that? You know, and he goes, well, you've got the red, the red dust on your shoe indicates it's that new road they're laying on Uzi Watson street and you scuff the curb. You know, basically the whole thing is Holmes's brain is bonkers. And, but actually he's only gone walking around London, memorizing all the different kinds of like, you know, brick dust there. It's like, well, who's doing that with their day? What's really good about this is they're like, yeah, Batman's a nutty detective, but he also just has this, (laughs) this supercomputer in his helmet. And it just scrolls through many, many different brands of pipe tobacco that he has registered (laughs) in his helmet computer and specifically identifies old country brand. He's just like, that's Jim's brand. (laughs) It's just like, I love it. It's it's mental. It's mad. But like... I want to go round Wayne Manor one day when he's just inputting these various pipe tobacco brands into the computer. Just like, I may need this one day. But I don't care about that because it's brilliant and he is the world's greatest detective and it's all in his fucking helmet and don't doubt him. I wouldn't dare. But now on an unrelated point, Adam, I know you have something to get off your chest. So please, the floor is yours. No, and I'm going to say this straight out. Batman Arkham Asylum has, has some if not possibly, has the worst boss fights in any game. This is probably a good point to tie this into the next section, because I know you wanted to highlight one specific boss fight, but we, we can look at them from a wider angle. So that's basically what we, like, or what we thought of the boom boom, but we are going to talk about the boss fights here, because this is the part of the podcast where we talk about the uh, most noteworthy mission leveler area to each of us. So maybe not her favourite, most certainly not in Adam's. But yeah, it's something that yeah just stood out to us for whatever reason in the game. So Adam Carroll, I know you wanted to talk specifically about the Bane boss fight, but yes, b- boss fights in general. They are completely dog shit. Like every one of them bar probably the only one I can kind of go, I can give that an, uh, it's an, it's okay. It's okay. But it's still kind of shit is Croc. 
the Bane one is such an unbelievably missed opportunity, right? Because if for people who don't know, Bane is the closest villain, I suppose, to actually killing Batman. There was a story arc in like 93, 94 time. Uh, it was Nightfall, it was called. And it's, it's, it's in the Dark Knight Rises movie. Bane breaks Batman's back. And it's a huge deal. It's a huge situation. And playing the, this game again, I kind of completely forgot, except for the Joker fight, how the other ones kind of went. And the Bane fight is so bad. Like, you are just in a room with him. And all you really do is kind of like dodge him and you have to, the, the kind of, I suppose, the, the, the solution really to benefit the fight really is when he's running at you, you throw your batarang, hits him in the head and it slows him down and you just jump out of the way in slow motion and then you run over and do a couple of slaps at him and then I think you try and pull out one of the uh, cards. Yes. That's all you do. And it's rinse and repeat the whole thing. I think like a total of maybe four or five times. And that's it for Bane. See you later. Good luck to you. But then you move on and you meet like the the, the Titan henchman. And it's the same fucking fight that you had with Bane. The exact same thing you are doing. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, that's also diabolical. You go on further again. And you meet Poison Ivy. For some unknown reason, this is the longest boss fight. Yeah. Why? I don't know. It's way too long. And complete and utter shit as well. <laughs> she's just in her plant thing. Yeah, she, she's, she's just in this massive flower that has this kind of, I don't know, eyelid on it and like when it opens you fling a batarang at her but in the meantime her plant is shooting these kind of fireballs at you and you just yeah you're just dodging them you end up like doing this whole fight you basically get through the round of it and then it pulls like this from software situation where she just regenerates her entire health and it's no different the whole round is the exact same again it's just just a long fight. Croc is, the, as I said, probably the most interesting one. He's in the sores and there's this kind of like, kind of, it brings in an element of stealth, I guess, where you kind of stay crouched. You're looking for the, the kind of spores around the sores. It's kind of a bit of a maze setup. You're on these wooden platforms and you stay crouched uh, because if you run, he knows where you are and he attacks you and kills you or whatever. Mm-hmm. But as you're kind of stealthing through, you have to fill up the meter and he will randomly kind of burst out of the water and start charging as you. You do the same thing, as I said, that you do to Bane, which is you throw your batarang. Slow motion, he falls into the water. You continue on and you get your spores filled up and then you kind of have to make your way back and you end him... You're at the end of the, the, the hall, a kind of a corridor area. Yep. And he just runs at you, but you have the ground that you spray. Explosive gel. And then you just explode and he falls down into the ground. See you later, Croc. And then as it goes on, you get to Joker. As you said in the story synopsis column, Joker injects himself. He gets crazy muscly, gets a haircut. 
does his thing. And for some reason, you have Joker now. Joker is the most iconic Batman villain, if not villain of all time in anything. So this is a huge deal. It's the final boss as well. He's all musty, weird looking. It's a bit silly. And he kind of jumps up on a platform, turns his back to you and just unleashes his goons that you fought numerous times in the game, throughout the game. And you fight rounds of him and then you kind of use your, um, your, your, what, what? Back claw. You use your back claw, shoot at his back, pull him down. And you do that kind of, like you start unleashing a couple of punches. Do that maybe three or four times. You've beaten Joker. To me, it just is some of the worst boss fights I've ever encountered in a game. There's no, there's no skill. It's not, you, you don't remember anything. It's not challenging. It's not fun in these situations. By a country mile, it, these are the weakest parts of the entire game. They are rubbish. <laughs> like, I remember Joker being bad. But the Poison Ivy fight, as you said, it goes on forever. Uh, like, yeah, I mean, the Killer Croc thing is... Maybe a bit different, but still it's... But the, the, the Joker one is atrocious, though. As you said, like, this is the, the big bad throughout the game. Like, this is the villain. He injects himself with the Titan. And he, f- he follows you around a little bit, but you, you dodge a few times. Then he jumps up on the platform and then, yeah, sends the goons after you. And, and like, I'm just parroting what you said, but, like, yeah, you're just... When you're punching out, out these goons, you're going... But this is what I've been doing for the entire game. Yeah. Is there not something more to this? And then you just, yeah, bat claw and pull him down. It is so, so underwhelming. It just blew my mind that this is kind of what was happening. And I don't know what they were thinking, given the source material that they have regarding these villains. I would have rathered if they cut... Ivy, if they just had Joker, if Joker was the only villain in this game, but it came down to an absolutely memorable fight, that would have been perfect for me. No bother. But like, this is shit. <laughs> I don't disagree. I, I don't feel that strongly about the, I, I like, I think that they're, they're not great. They, d- they didn't stand out to you is what no, you're saying. No, not really. I suppose it's because they're not built up I mean, he's in Arkham Asylum, so already it feels like they're a little bit devalued because it's like, well, you've got all of his rogues gallery in one in one place. They can't, uh, they don't have a lot of time for lots of build up and lots of big anticipation. They're all just sort of knocking about. See, oh, there goes Killer Croc, you know. And I suppose it's sort of similar in in the recent Spider Man games as well. It, it, it is tough when you're a, a, su- a superhero, and it's like, okay, how are we actually going to make this? In? I can't really think of a superhero game where I would sort of say, oh man, yeah, like yeah, the, the boss fights in that. Like it is sort of fundamentally tough when you've just got a character who is Batman. You know, you sort of think, okay, well, how are we going to? But that being said, you know. Maybe I've just that's just low imagination and not a good enough excuse. They could come up with something, and I think p- perhaps there are some better ones in subsequent games. Um, but yeah, I I, I totally agree. Like it it is just you know, Jesus Christ, this is, you know this is Bane, and I, and I just thumped him the same way I'd thump any number of heavies. Like like I, I definitely definitely like I, yeah I do. I do but agree. I think like there's there's Joker is 
it's just one of the fucking worst things ever. Like, yeah. like the the fact he's not even like coming out with like amazing lines and stuff, which there are plenty of throughout the thing. But like, he's not really saying the most insane stuff, and he has his back turned to the whole time. It's just like, come on. Oh, it's, it's it's mental when you play it again and realise this. Josh, the bosses may not have stood out to you all that much. So t- tell me and Adam what did stand out to you. The best boss of the whole game is the asylum itself. Ooh, very good. Very <laughs> yeah, good. You're both blown away by that, aren't you? I'll let that sit with you for a minute. Um, <laughs> no, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I agree with all that. Um, I sort of put down uh, for my kind of noteworthy mission level area. Actually, it felt a bit like I was kind of throwing up my hands because I saw what you guys had written down. And I, I was sort of thinking, you know, oh, is this, is this bad? Is, is this a bad reflection on the game that I can't really come up with any one notable thing? Um, and I sort of saw what you put, Cullum, and saw what you put, Adam, and I was like, oh yeah, no, they, they, you know, they are notable actually. But and then I suddenly thought, actually, like, 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 maybe it's not bad that I can't come up with any one notable thing because the whole setting is just fucking brilliant. And and so in the end, I just put, it's the main courtyard, it's the main outdoor area from where you launch all your excursions, and you get that that sort of. Metroidvania touch to it where you have crisscrossing paths through the asylum. I think it's lovely and I think the art direction is delicious and just oh, the colours are brilliant. The building itself is brilliant. Um, it was also a very, very good tease uh, back in 2009 when uh, you went out into this courtyard for the first time because remember you, you sort of, you get to it um, you sort of come to the top of a cliff for the first time, don't you? Fairly early on in the game, you sort of presented with the main mm-hmm. courtyard. A lovely little moment. And you're presented not just with the courtyard and everywhere you're going to go in this game, but you also get, you know, the view of Arkham Island and you sort of remember, the, oh, it is an island, you know, it is it is their Alcatraz kind of thing. And and But you see in the distance uh, the Wayne Enterprises tower, of course, that's a that's a visual Riddler clue. Uh, There's a nice little thing if you scan that. And I just remember, you know, back in the day, just thinking, oh, fucking hell, there's a whole city over there. You know, like, what are they going to do? Like, it was just this brilliant tease of, like, this place I am right now is brilliant, but these guys know what they're bloody doing because it's plugged into a wider world. And there's a, there's a really nice sort of bit of um, verticality as well in the main courtyard. There's that. Uh, achievement that you can pop by uh, gliding for the longest possible distance. If you glide for like a full minute or something like that, you can you can get this thing. I do think the asylum is one of the best setting, definitely in this series. And I think as time has gone on, that that opinion has strengthened. That's one of those opinions that you hear these days. It kind of goes around. You know how like certain things pick up a kind of tailwind of opinion, you know, and you do hear or I've heard people sort of now go like, oh, actually, Asylum's the best one, you know, and I can I can really understand that. I like that idea of it all homes in on this one setting. And and by the end of the game, because you keep sort of coming back to this courtyard and going off to different sort of thing. I, you know, I do sort of feel sort of two thirds of the way through the game. You do really start to know the place. You do, you do sort of, or I did anyway, sort of felt which were the right directions to go in. And as the game goes on, you sort of think, oh yeah, well actually like Batman would know this place really well. And I'm starting to as well. And 
Uh, yeah, it's a great piece of design. Sort of puts you behind the cowl as well as giving you something very nice to look at. The island and everything on it is just such an awful place to be in the best possible way. Mm. Like there is just a wonderful nastiness to everything. Just the vile conditions of the cells, the contraptions you find in there that are used for clearly torture, this constant surveillance over radio or all the monitors that are in the, the asylum, uh, the, the cameras, like the cold steel that's everywhere, the bars of cells, the flooring you're walking on, uh, like the, the, the force fields that are blocking pathways. There's like, there's an oppressive tone running through almost everything here. Like even doors and statues are way bigger <laughs> yeah. than Batman. Like, you know, it's a really lovely tiny thing that I only realised on this playthrough, but, the little in asylum jingle that plays over the tannoy whenever they mm-hmm. do a little do 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 that's the that's the main it's yeah, the main it's theme creep. it's do 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 I didn't yeah. realise that I'm so, maybe I'm just bloody slow on the uptake when it comes to uh, the music in this game but I just it clicked this time and I thought oh man it's it just hums through this whole bloody place. It's driven home all the time. It's grimy. It's horrible. It's like even something simple like the chipped tiles on the walls. Yes. Like that's, mm. that's, that's telling you this place isn't being cared for, you know? And, and, that, and that message is loud and clear from the warden, Quincy Sharp. Like these people aren't worth any time or effort. So Arkham Asylum isn't worth any time or effort where the, where these people will be in their cells. It's going to be an absolute mm. shithole. Like Sharp has built this place where he is king with his statues and even the mansion is mm. immaculate, but everything else within it is absolutely worthless. Like to even compare this to a recent game we spoke about in Outlast, two games that take place in institutions that house the quote criminally insane like Arkham does it so much better because it it shows you the disregard that this person Quincy Sharp who should be heading up rehabilitation he's a he's a a stone cold prick like he doesn't care about trying to make these people (laughs) better he has decided they aren't worthy of that so he's let this place go to go to the dogs and you even discover this through the spirit of Arkham collectibles, which are these slabs of stone that you'll find throughout. You scan them and then you get a bit of VO from the person who originally set up the asylum, Amadeus Arkham. But the more you scan and listen to, the more the truth is revealed. And that's uh, Quincy Sharp believes himself to have the spirit of Amadeus Arkham inside of him. Like like Sharp, he's talking about his disdain for the inmates. He even admits to murder in one of them. So like... While you have to go the extra mile to uncover that, I, I think it's pretty clear in the subtext too. Mm. But it's just the longer the game progresses and you see like the more talking about what you were saying, Josh, like the outdoors, like how, how it evolves and how at the start, I guess it's it's welcoming and how at the end, you know, it, it's, it becomes more mm. and more dangerous because at the beginning you have you have friends you know you you have your the the guards of Arkham Asylum but then they're replaced by Joker's goons making it more dangerous then some inmates of Arkham Asylum and then you have Ivy's plants to contend with by by mm. the finish so like it's just ever evolving and the influence shifts uh, the, the, the more you go through the game so yeah I, I mean I wholeheartedly agree I, I think as it to, to repeat a point I said earlier like it is laser focused mm. 
the world of Arkham mm. Asylum. But one uh, area I wanted to talk about was the aviary in the botanical gardens mm. where your objective is simply take down the henchman leader without being detected. It's, you know, it's not, it's not bombastic. It's not really, uh, there may be even some people listening who played the game trying to rack their brain go, what, which, which part of the game is that? So this is, well, I've, I've chosen this section because for me it shows how the stealth in Arkham can be better than a lot of the sameness that pops up most of the time. And it's an insta-fail section, but done in a way that I do think works. So basically, there are some people suspended in these giant bird cages in the middle of the room that you must save. And in order to save them, you need to take out the baddie that's at the controls first. If you go after someone else in the room, it'll spook the guy at the lever and then he'll plunge the NPCs to their deaths. And on top of being this again, beautifully grim environment. There are multiple vents and walkways for you to use in order to get to where you need to be. And even though there are only four guards here, like it's a real puzzle. It's, and I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm using this lightly, but it is Hitman-esque in that at the beginning, I'm like, okay, well, I, I can't move. So turn on detective mode, look around, survey where the guards are, their patterns, look for pathways that I can take. Like, it's, it's obviously nowhere on the level of Hitman, but, well, because essentially there is basically one solution to the puzzle. But I do think this section is really good at tricking you into believing that you are the world's greatest detective. And, and like, there's, there's so much value in that. Just trick mm. me. I, 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 want, I want you to think <laughs> I have agency here. And yeah, I, I think it just, uh, it really stood out to me in this game. But that is what we thought of the Boom Boom and our most noteworthy mission level areas and bosses. Now we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk about the narrative of Batman Arkham Asylum as well as any other little bits we want to hoover up at the end. So we'll be back right after this. Right then, let us chat about the story, the characters, the voice acting of Batman Arkham Asylum. So like prior to Arkham Asylum's launch, Christopher Nolan is well into his Dark Knight trilogy. In 2005, you Batman begins, then in 2008, the Dark Knight comes out. And when playing this, some were wondering if Rocksteady took any inspiration from the two Nolan films that were out at the time. But during my research, I came across an interview I didn't include um, earlier, but where Sefton Hill outright says they didn't take anything from those films. Plus, I played the clip earlier where a member of the team was saying they were delighted that they could create their own world using the same characters. And I am inclined to believe them. Like, even in an interview Paul Dini did with CBR.com, I think this was a different interview that I mentioned earlier, I think around release, he mentioned that a piece of Batman media that inspired the story somewhat was the 1989 graphic novel Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on Serious Earth which in preparation for this podcast, I read. Now, it's, it's not one for one at no. all, at all, at all. <laughs> and it's, it's a lot more kind of graphic and stark than Arkham Asylum. But like the Dark Knight trilogy, Arkham Asylum is still dark and it is gritty. But the characters here still feel like comic book characters. They look like comic book characters. Like Batman's suit. We're lacking, you know 
uh, like early doors kind of like a, a splash of blue or hmm. something like that but there's greys to offset the pitch black there's his yellow utility belt he looks like a gritty Batman yes but not a quote unquote realistic Batman and like everyone involved with shaping the look and feel of the majority of these characters the world they're in the plot it's got a fine line between the darkness and the camp of Batman and for me that is the sweet spot of this characters. Uh, like, I am going to focus more on Batman and the villains, and we'll talk about them in a bit, but I did want to talk more about the story, um, which for me is really solid. Like, it's absolute wallop, but it's comic book wallop. It's believable wallop because the people on Arkham Island believe. Like, Batman doesn't piss himself the first time he sees a muscular crocodile. You know, no one on Arkham Island questions the fact that a redheaded woman is able to talk to plants. <laughs> and, and most importantly, nobody questions what Titan can do. Like this serum, the Titan, once taken, will instantly, instantly give any human being who takes it the body of a 1980s main event WWF wrestler. Just these huge hulking beings that couldn't exist in our world, (laughs) but they can exist in this world where a man who dresses up as a clown is seen as the most deadly person in the city. And like, rightly so, he is dangerous, something I'll get to. But right now, I just wanted to say the dance that Rocksteady does between the vicious and the camp is expertly done. Like, if, if anything... Given more recent portrayals of Batman and the world he inhabits, a game that embraces the character's roots and places them in a more modern environment makes Arkham Asylum feel so different and so fresh. Like, since Nolan, it feels, you know, I'm talking, I guess, from a kind of a mainstream perspective, everyone's like, just do that. But this doesn't shy away from its comic book roots. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's um it it has remained unique and it was unique when it came out. And I think it's got a lot of different things to thank for that. One of the things I think is it's is it sounds bonkers, but it's 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 still true and I remember thinking it when it first came out. They nailed the suit. It's got a really, really good suit and sounds petty, but those things are really fucking important. It's got the sort of Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns suit where he changed the yellow sigil to black and it was black on grey. That's great. Personally, I really don't like um, when Batman looks too robotic and there's loads of like hard plating and stuff on the suit and it gets a little bit like that in Arkham Knight. gets a little bit like that in loads of the movies. I really like a soft, like organic suit. It makes it look more comic booky, more drawn. Um, the ears are good. They're long enough. That's important. It's also just got like a really good grounding in the animated series, which I think is just one of the best bits of Bat media ever. I just, I think if, if, you, if you put Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy... And Arlene Sorkin as well, who voices Harley, and in fact, who only voiced Harley in Asylum and, and is replaced with, with the, from City Onwards by someone else. I think it's Tara Strong. Because you have those voices, you can get away with synthesising something that visually looks quite adult and quite dark. 
which the animated series was had this sort of film noir thing. It's very different. But when you have those voices, it kind of moves your bat brain to a particular kind of bat era. And you sort of think, oh, okay. And I remember thinking at the time that Asylum was pretty much the perfect bat media because it was only possible in video games. It was like, I want the animated series, but I want something that looks more adult but I also want the plot to be absolute bonk shit and I want it to be really, really, fun, really, really fun to play and dark, but not realistic and grittily dark like the Nolan movies are, which I love in a different way. Uh, but I a hundred percent agree. I think Asylum and actually as the years have gone on and, and City and Night came out and moved it quite far in other directions, Asylum seems to look more lovely every day. Um, its influences are just like sublime, really. Like, cause you're right. It's like a little bit of a serious house on serious earth, though it's nowhere near as fucked as that. And just the presence of Deanie and stuff. It, yeah. In terms of bat tone, it's just sublime. When it comes to a Batman story, like, look, I don't think it's bad at all. I just don't think it's mind blowing, but that's okay because there's a lot of things that it does incredibly well, such as like its overall tone, the performances for the most part, uh, its atmosphere, like all that is so nailed. And everything that we're saying about like what we're saying about how what it is in, in terms of like where it stands with the movies and things. There's a there's a variety of different tones going on for Batman from the comics to the animated show to the the Burton movies, the Forever and Robin, and now I've recent like Nolan and I've recent the Batman one, Matt Reeves one. There's just so many different tones, and all of them mm. work in their own way. Asylum completely goes for the, as you talk with there, just the animated series. It just goes for that version, and I think for me that and and for a lot of people, I think mm. that's what we wanted. That's what we would have been hoping for, really. It's kind of nearly, it's it's almost like when people play the South Park game, like they're like, Jesus, like just playing the, the, the show. Like it's one of those kinds of things. Mm. It feels like that in ways because of the voice acting and everything else in it and its tone. But um, the story here just, it it doesn't have the weight because of what they do with the boss fights overall. And that to me, just, I, I'm not like, I'm not walking. There's too much. There's too much great story within the the comics that like to not have it in here with the villains. It, it kind of kills it for me. But like everything else that's going on is it is is outstanding. Like it really is. Well, look, you mentioned the villains, the performances, the other the other characters. So let's dissect them a bit more. And firstly, let's look at our lead character, the fellow whose name is on the box. Like the Batman character is sometimes one that's executed poorly. And given the setup, it is understandable why that's the case. Because if you look at Bruce Wayne, you have this wealthy playboy that dresses up as a bat and inflicts unspeakable pain (laughs) on people who have most certainly done wrong in most cases. But one may wonder 
whether some of the street-level goons deserve to be tortured or have their bones broken in such vicious fashion. <laughs> and like, in fairness, you don't actually see or play as Bruce Wayne in Arkham Asylum. You, you just see and play as Batman. So it feels like I'd be talking about all the portrayals of the character will table Wayne until a future Arkham game, perhaps. If we just take Batman, I mean... It, <laughs> In this, he's not a terribly complex character. Some depth is added in the sequence where Scarecrow, the thing we all know, where Scarecrow manipulates Batman to remember the night that his parents died. Something I know you wanted to touch on, Adam, so we'll talk about that in a minute. But there are some interesting moments with Batman, like in the first hour, the Joker offers Batman a freebie, a sort of just kill me now if you can type deal. And Batman holding a batarang in his right hand he's about to go for it and then he stops himself. And like, is that because Batman needs purpose and that purpose is the Joker? Or is that because Batman does ultimately believe the opposite to to Sharp and believe that rehabilitation is possible for the most reprehensible people, even the Joker? I don't know. But what I do know is that there isn't an awful lot of that in the game. I will say the, the the late Kevin Conroy does deliver a fine performance of the character and I'll I'll play a clip here where the listener can hear a bit. But this is Batman in Dr. Young's office uh, looking for her files before Joker has a chance of getting them. Someone has already got to the safe. The only question now is who opened it? No sign of forced entry. Whoever opened it knew the combination. Let's see. Good. Dr. Young got to her notes before Joker. She's taken them to hide somewhere. I need to follow her and find out where she put them. Very low typing. But (laughs) there's most definitely a gravitas that Conroy brings with his performance of the character. But it is worth noting that this Batman batters the absolute shit out of people all under the guise of the greater good. So what I'm saying is that there there is more meat on the bone, but writer Paul Dini and developer Rocksteady opted to leave said meat. So like, I think we can pick this up, um, pick up this Batman slash Bruce Wayne chat in a future game in the series, perhaps, given that you don't have the Bruce Wayne element present. But yeah, I, I kind of, before we get onto the villains, I did want to say, Kevin Conroy delivers a fine performance, but I think this version of Batman isn't terribly inspiring. It's funny you say it because I would consider Kevin Conroy to be just the, the Batman. He, he just is, in my eyes. He just That voice is my childhood. There's something, and even in that clip you picked, I was just like, I'm interested in this again. And what I felt this time around was, and going even back to when he was explaining how it was to be in a game... And how difficult it was. I think this performance, not all the time, but there are moments where Conroy does sound incredibly tired, like very jaded, like his energy within. It's not the usual that you would hear. Like, look, don't get me wrong. He's not doing like Bruce Wayne, like isn't doing what Mark Hamill is doing, like as a Joker. It's not that kind of performance. It's totally different, obviously. But... That kind of like, oh, like I'm, I'm going to sort this out. It's there in spades, like in, in little little parts. But there, there are some moments where I was like, 
God, he sounds really fucking tired and stuff there in, in that delivery. And some of the lines are kind of a, they're not really strong. That's the point I'm making is that the writing of this Batman. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. You turn to the villains. There are definitely a few that, well, there, there are a few that feel underutilized. Like I would say Victor Zaz, for example, is one who's just totally underused. Harley Quinn for me. And of course, it would be remiss of me. Not to mention that, very sadly, um, another member of the cast of Batman Arkham Asylum, Arlene Sorkin, who voices Harley Quinn. Yeah, she sadly passed away in uh, very late August of this year. Now, firstly, just want to point out, Arlene Sorkin is terrific as Harley Quinn. I mean, she's been doing the part for, up until Arkham Asylum, and she's been doing it for years she was the first voice of Harley Quinn on Batman the Animated Series. And kind of similar to Kevin Conroy as Batman, just, you know, it it just fits. It just sounds right to the ear. But a little bit like Victor's as I feel like the writing could have been better for Harley Quinn because she's probably behind the Joker of the Batman villains. She has the most screen time, I would guess. And I suppose I'm largely thinking about how the character comes to an end. She's one of the few Batman villains, maybe the only one, if I remember incorrectly, who doesn't really have a big moment uh, at the character's conclusion. I know we said the boss fights are pretty bad, but still, the Harley Quinn comes to an end in a cutscene. You're not even in control when you capture her. But as I say, Sorkin is really, like, really great as Harley Quinn. So I have a clip here that I'll play for both you and for our listeners. And the setup is Harley Quinn is going to turn on an electrified floor because she wants to shock the Batman. So she's going to make a lot of puns, obviously. You know, Bats, I always thought there was a spark between us. Well, now there is. I love Harley Quinn. Just she's fucking, she's fucking great. Yeah, as I say, it's not performance; it's just more the writing of Harley Quinn. Now, someone who comes into the story pretty late, actually, but becomes quite pivotal uh, to to the whole thing is Poison Ivy. I loved her. Like everything yeah. she does and says, just exudes sex. Like, to to a totally over-the-top degree. Like, she is impossibly yeah. seductive. And to, to me, owns it. Because this version of, of Poison Ivy, she's never actually going to ride Batman. That's not, she's not interested. But, like, in fairness, I, would, like, I don't know if she needed to dress in a cardigan <laughs> that's barely covering. She must be frozen. And like a tiny pair of leafy <laughs> underpants. But still, I, I do think she is great. And coincidentally enough, voiced by an actress uh, named Tasia Valenza, who voices Sniper Wolf in Metal Gear Solid. Um, so I, I have a clip here of Batman asking Poison Ivy about an antidote for the Titan chemical that Joker's messing with. And Ivy eventually points Batman in the, the right direction. You'll hear Batman sort of crush something to let the listener know that's just uh, an Ivy lets out a yelp. That's Batman snapping the vines of one of Ivy's plants. But uh, anyway, she's basically giving him directions, but she does it in the most suggestive tone, like dripping in an innuendo. So take a listen to this. I need you to help me create an antidote. Why should I? 
Let Joker have his fun. I'll enjoy watching you squirm. You've been in the dark too long. Every plant on this island will get the same unless you cooperate. There's a plant growing deep in Arkham Island. Only it can counter the effects of this Titan strain. Where do I find it? Oh, in Killer Croc's lair. You didn't think it would be easy, did you? Go back to your cell, or I'll be after you next. And I'll be waiting. That's marvelous. That is <laughs> so, so good. We can leave Scarecrow for a moment because, yeah, as I said, I know you wanted to talk about him, Adam. But your main villain, the Joker, is incredible. Incredible. It holds up today because, of course, it does. It is an absolute mm -hmm. all-timer of a performance from Mark Hamill, just spitting out some wonderfully written dialogue. Like, Joker is mm -hmm. best performed, best written as well. It is fucking outstanding. He brings both levity and menace in equal measure. Like, taking that first point, he's silly, comical, he's making jokes when the moment takes him, but he's unbelievably dangerous. <laughs> but he isn't so wrapped up in his plan that he won't take a moment to have a bit of a laugh. You know, everyone needs to. Like, here's a, a clip of a few different moments I've stitched together where Joker is just having the crack, really. And there's even a bonus Groucho Marx line in there, too. So take a listen to this. Can you smell the excitement in the air? No. Hmm. Must have been one of the guards, then. Having a little trouble up there? Joker. You're expecting maybe Two-Face. Anyone seen the big bad bat? I warn you, he may look like an idiot and talk like an idiot, but don't let that fool you. He really is an idiot. <laughs> he is so good. But like, as I said, he, he's very dangerous. Like, the, and the script and Hammer's performance exhibit that expertly as well. Like, like, he's not goofy. He jokes to entertain himself, but also kind of to unsettle Batman. Plus, his tone can change in the blink of an eye. And, and that duality makes him unpredictable. Like, I have another clip here where Batman is on a lift that's been stopped by Joker, and Joker appears on one of Arkham Asylum's many televisions to talk to Batman. Uh, this is before the first encounter with Joker, but you'll hear how quickly Joker's tone goes from jovial to sinister and then back to laughing again. So listen to this. It's too easy. Oh, think about it. I've got you trapped in a little metal box, hanging precariously over a deadly drop. What say I just blow the emergency brakes and drop you like a sack of puppies? Say goodnight, that's Boom! <laughs> Only kidding. Got a few more surprises in store for you. Prepare to face your fears. All of them! <laughs> I think I said this earlier, but he is, he is this omnipresence in Arkham Asylum. Like he's either in the cutscenes or he's talking to you in-game through, as mentioned, one of the many televisions scattered throughout or talking to you through the tannoy which reaches every inch of the island. He is absolutely everywhere either yeah. delivering one-liners or telling ba Batman how the Joker is going to rule Gotham. It is just, from start to finish, absolute 
magic. There's nothing I could say bad about it. Like he is just the best. Like in every way, it's there's nothing out of place. It's always perfect. And he's he like Mark Hamill as as the Joker. It has always been perfect in my eyes. And that laugh, it, like I absolutely, I get such joy when I hear the laugh all the time. It's it's so amazing. But yeah, in, in this game alone, just. What a performance! Mm. Unbelievable. He also has the the I think the nicest balance. Uh, I, I think of any of the actors who've ever played the Joker. You you have like a point, and at one end is is menace, and at the other end is 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 comedy. And I think only Hamill has the balance where it swings slightly more towards comedy, but the menace is implicit. And it comes out in flashes. If you yeah. if you look at like Heath Ledger, it's mainly menace, but there are a couple of one-liners in The Dark Knight where he gets a genuine laugh. If you look at Jack Nicholson, it's sort of somewhere in the middle, but definitely airs on the side of menace. And the laughs that you get are, they're, you know, they're there. Mm. But when it comes to Mark Hamill, it's like, I'm a- I am actually laughing. And then... I'm laughing so much because he's having a good time and I'm having a good time. And, but funnily enough, the punchline is actually the menace. He slips something in at the end and I go, Oh God. Yeah, no, I am actually supposed to fear him. And I do, Um, (laughs) but like I get swept up. The laughter is infectious and yeah, it's the role of a lifetime really. Another thing you really enjoy, Josh, is that opening 10 minute section where you're wheeling Joker into Arkham Asylum. Uh, and for me, and this is this is why uh, the game works so well, is that like uh, Conroy has a pretty like thankless task in a lot of ways when you're going up. And I think basically every actor who's ever played Batman has said this. It's like, we're afraid of the rogues gallery because next to mo- Batman's villains are so good of any superhero, you always risk looking boring against who you're up against. And I think like the thing that helps Conroy greatly in this game is Rocksteady because Conroy delivers what he does, what Conroy does best. And he gives you unadulterated Batman, but where Rocksteady comes to his aid is it just in the outrageous confidence that they have. I mean, I don't know where they get the, 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 the chutzpah to do what they do with the opening and just a lot of this game, considering it's their second game and they've already and it came out the same year as something like Uncharted 2. So you couldn't really say that it was influenced by Uncharted 2. But the, the, the cinematic like confidence and tricks that they get up to, it's like a studio hitting its top fucking gear. It's the thing that you'd expect in the second or third game in the series. The opening 10 minutes are so good in the way that they subvert your expectations. The way that you, you, you start out and you're just walking, you know. You're just walking alongside the Joker as he's being wheeled on his uh, gurney through the thing, Hannibal Lecter style. And, you know, everyone talks about the bloody village in Uncharted 2. And, you know, fair enough. Nathan Drake just has a little lovely walk through a village in the middle of a shooter campaign. And it's this sort of big thing. Well, these guys are just sort of doing really similar stuff and uh, doesn't really feel like people talk about it that much. And But just little genius flourishes that let you understand that Rocksteady understand this character and know what he would do in certain situations and help Conroy 
act without a body. Like, it's so clever. Like, when the lights go out and you actually can't see anything. There's a power cut when they're moving Joker into the asylum and you can't, you can't see anything. And everyone's talking and people are going, oh, what the fuck's going on? Like, oh, the power's gone out. And Batman just doesn't say, he's just quiet. And when the lights come back on, it reveals the fact that Batman immediately went up and grabs Joker by the neck the moment the room went dark. And you're not let, when that's revealed to you, you just immediately go, yes, that is correct. That is right. That is what he would do. And they know that. And actually, obviously I know it too, but little things like that, I just think that's bonkers. Um, and that there are, there are lots of, I mean, I mentioned earlier, like the way he checks his sort of van braces and his, his gloves every time he, he, he has a fight. Um, the, uh, just or just the way that he kind of moves that that's sort of one thing I guess I haven't really mentioned, but it's sort of brilliant that a, like a full press of the analog stick will only ever make him walk and he walk he has this brilliant like heavy walk, and even when he runs, it feels really heavy like they they, they yeah they just they just help Conroy deliver a physical performance that he can't do, and it's just outrageous it's such good work for a studio I, still like unrivaled I think to this day one villain we didn't talk about earlier because yeah I know you wanted to talk about him Adam was the Scarecrow so we've talked about the the gameplay aspects and how there's there's three different sections but yeah I know you wanted to to touch on him a little bit yeah yeah it's just uh, very quickly I think do you know every Batman's majority of Batman stories we have to see the the Wayne murder and um I think in this it's done pretty well. I think like it's it's the third phase. I feel uh, yeah, it is the third phase of the Scarecrow situation, and you take control of a young Bruce Wayne walking towards um the body bags of his parents, and there's a third body bag. Now it's very like it's predictable. You know what's going on, but I think it's it's atmosphere. It's it's really where the game f- fully changes. Like really in the whole thing, and. Uh, yeah, it's it's it, it's it's done well. Like it's pretty it's pretty rotten. Like what what you're doing, but um, it was a nice. It, it's it does this cool thing of changing the kind of scene as you're as you're walking along and stuff, and uh, that kind of setup happens really well. I think later on in Arkham Knight, um, the use of Scarecrow. But uh, yeah, that was really good take on uh Telling that part of the story. I know down here, Josh, you've written that you like the fourth wall breaking stuff. Are you, are you including Scarecrow in that, or is it? Yeah, I, 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 it kind of it does actually kind of tie into that, and I guess it sort of ties into the thing I was saying before. I do, I do love the, um, where it says, uh, you know, your your sort of save is corrupt. They do the sort of thing they did in Metal Gear Solid, you know, where it's like deleting save mm-hmm. save data and so it's kind of cheeky and mischievous but then like you see the beginning of the game again and it's rebooted but the roles are reversed and you know sort of when he's driving into the asylum through the forest which is a nice little opening and it shows batman in that weird like was it like a kind of donny darko-y rabbit mask like the kind of rubbishy mask uh and like 
that sort of stuff like all the way that like when he when he opens the door to the to the scarecrow bit uh he's opening like a normal door in the asylum and it actually just turns into that long hallway that he can only walk down like just little things like that um i just think are, are done really really well and it and one of the things that i really like is the um the visitor center which is that you don't ever like have to go to the visitor center but uh, you can just go back to it throughout the game after you've done different things, and it's sort of I like the way it just kind of slips into first person as well. That's the other, and the other cool thing. Like they're not afraid to just try random stuff. Rockstar, they just do different. They're just like, yeah, this this room that you go in, it's going to be first person, and you, the Joker talks to you on a little sort of TV head mannequin in there, and sort of says different things, and you just kind of toy around like if you if you look away and then look back at the mannequins behind you they'll they'll sort of change their positions and stuff just to kind of freak you out a little bit <laughs> just all these little little they're very playful in their design like in, in in a game that's pretty you know pretty serious and a developer who's like pretty untested they're just there is a sort of kojima-esque quality where they sort of go we're going to be a bit mischievous here and I just, yeah, I really dig that. So that is what we thought of the story, characters, performances, etc., etc. So now it is our little miscellaneous section where we just add in anything that we haven't already mentioned. And I guess this kind of t- t- ties back into villains, I suppose, and what we were talking about. But down here, Adam, you've written that you, you've used a rude word even. You've said, I fucking loved the interview tapes and character bios. Yeah, look, they're they're outstanding. They're outstanding. I love how they sound. Um, like you collect them as you basically go around the the game, and it's it's open world. Um, <laughs> I think like each character might have like five yeah. in individual tapes and stuff. But there's a lot to it. There's like the, the performances are great from everyone. Um, I love the the character bio kind of the 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 drawings, the animation side of it. Um, the information is given out the reading. There's a lot of good stuff put into these, this kind of thing that could be, it could have been just very kind of simple, but I think they, they go the extra mile for this kind of moment. Um, but those performance tapes are amazing. They're, they're, they're actually, they're so good. They're just, they're worth searching for. I loved these lot. Like, yeah, whenever I saw when I was like, I have to get it because yeah. yeah and even, you know, uncovering some of the, the Riddler's riddles as well, will unlock new character bios and you'll get to, you know, some, uh, some of the characters that aren't in Arkham Asylum or they might mm. be referenced. You'll see their cell or you'll see whatever. And you get these like, yeah, lovely pieces of art, uh, nice little bios on them. But on the tapes, I actually have one here and I wanted to include this guy because we haven't mentioned him because he's kind of a non-event in the game, sadly. Uh, but yeah, this is one of Victor Zaz's interview tapes. So listen to this. Taped patient evaluation one. Patient name is Victor Zaz. Diagnosed clinically insane after the murder of at least 20 women in the Gotham area. Hello, Victor. I'm Dr. Cassidy. Seeing as this is our first session, let's spend some time getting to know each other. I don't need to know you, Miss Cassidy. Everything is meaningless. Don't you think that's a very negative outlook on life, Victor? You've no doubt read my file. Yes. Yes, I have. It says you come from a wealthy family, that your parents died, and how you lost all the money gambling. And none of it matters. 
Why do you keep saying that, Victor? Because the only thing that does matter is the mark. Have you seen my work, Miss Cassidy? If you're referring to the marks on your... Of course I mean my talent marks. And I have a space for yours. Do you want to see where? He is such a creepy bastard. And they, yeah. they could have used them more. But yeah, overall, the interview tapes and the character bios, I think, are fantastic. Yeah, excellent. Josh, you wanted to talk about Commissioner Jim Gordon and his gym routine. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and sort of, sort of like loads of the characters as well, uh, especially the male characters. Like, I, like, it's funny that look that, this was like a particular look i guess it's after gears of war like one and two but like because that game is in unreal engine 3 which at the time was like you know the the the, the top shit and uh it's just funny like commissioner gordon just looks like a, a like a fridge like he's just like a massive like athlete guy like he looks like marcus phoenix his forearms are like well he well he looks like bruce wayne like if you're just a muscly guy in this universe you look like a, a like a genetic freak and it's just it's really funny because like that they just sort of stop doing that in the future games like if you just go like in city uh sorry in night like gordon just looks like a normal human being and in this he just looks like he's got like implants in his arms like a weird steroid guy um but yeah it's just funny especially given the like the the stuff in the in the interview tapes the lovely uh like comic booky artwork of all these people and you see them in the game and they just look like these bonkers guys but yeah yeah unreal engine 3. what a look what a weird look. I instantly know it's that Unreal Engine 3. Uh, you also wanted to give a little shout out to the Easter eggs in the game. It's just I, just some of the best Easter eggs that have ever been in a game, ever, consistently, absolutely outrageous. They're nuts in City, they're nuts in Night, they're ridiculous here. Such, such deep cuts, it's outrageous that y- you would never get so many of the things unless you were just like... A, a Batman fan. If you go to, for example, uh, the morgue, um, you can see uh, a, 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 a fridge that they keep corpses in, um, and it's you can see that it's Rachel Ghoul, and he has a toe tag, and it says Rachel Ghoul. And if you go back later, the body is gone. That's really clever if you know about Rachel Ghoul. If you don't know about Rachel Ghoul, it doesn't matter. You probably won't notice it. Just tiny little things. And there are so many of them in the game. And you just think, oh, that's beautiful. That doesn't ruin anything for anyone that doesn't know. But Christ, if you know, you're going to be purring like a cat. There is um, there is one that blows me away where... Uh, like. There's there's loads. I'll just quickly reel off like a couple. Like uh, when you you can see um, just before you rescue Jim uh, Gordon, you can see uh, I think it's Osito Osito, the little stuffed teddy bear that Bane carries around. Just before that mm-hmm. comes in, but it's just a little hint that like yeah, Bane's hanging around, you know. Um, and uh, there's a thing. Uh, you can see Hush. Hush's name appears on, on, like, in the medical facility, just on a board, just written there, and it just it shows you, like, yeah, like he's working at the asylum. You get nothing else out of Hush in this game. You will in City, but you don't know that yet. Um, 
but it's just it's just amazing world building. It's like, yeah, he he would be working there. That's great. And the most outrageous one probably is at the end of the game. Um, I guess everyone knows this now, but no one knew it then. And actually, it took like. I think one of the developers of Rocksteady actually had to point out its existence on Twitter for people to find it. But if you do three explosive gels in um, uh, Warden Sharp's office on the back wall, you have to do three um, and explode them all. It blows open a secret room. And if you go into the secret room, there are blueprints on the wall that Warden Sharp was planning to build Arkham City. And it says Arkham City on it, which was like an expanded facility. And like... That's just nuts. Like Rocksteady sort of just knew what they were going to do and put it in this game. And it's just, yeah, just, just, just crazy attention to detail, really. So that is what we thought of the story and uh, any other bits on Batman Arkham Asylum and just what we thought of Batman Arkham Asylum. So we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back to finalise our thoughts of the game right after this musical interlude. So we'll be back right after this. All right, then. Let us give the listeners our summarised thoughts on Batman Arkham Asylum. But as is customary, not before we go through some of the reviews of Batman Arkham Asylum when it came out. So first review here is from Justin Calvert of GameSpot, who gave it 9 out of 10. And Calvert said, quote, Everything about this game, the impressive visuals, stirring soundtrack, superb voice acting, fiendish puzzles, heart-hitting combat, uh, feels like it's been lovingly crafted by a development team that's both knowledgeable and passionate about the source material. Tom Ari of Videogamer.com also gave it 9 out of 10, and he said, quote, Whether you fancy skulking in the shadows, smashing slow motion fists into a goon's skull or simply using some cool gadgets, you can do no wrong with what is Eidos' best game in years. Jeff Gersman of Giant Bomb gave this 5 out of 5 and he said, quote, Arkham Asylum is a very nasty place, but Rocksteady gives you enough tools to make foiling the Joker's latest plot thrilling from start to finish. Greg Miller of IGN gave Arkham Asylum 9.3 out of 10 and he said, quote, This is an adult Dark Knight story that is well told, packs some truly fun gameplay elements, has top-notch voice talent and feels like it's part of Batman's canon. Rock City nailed what Batman is supposed to feel like. Fans rejoice. And finally, Alec Mir of Rock Paper Shotgun. Uh, no score, obviously, for RPS. But Mir said, quote, It's Batman. It's really Batman. Dramatically more real than any other game has ever made him. And to the point that he is a component part of why the game's so great, rather than the game being great, but happening to have a Batman skin in it. But... None of those opinions matter on this podcast, lads. You know that very well. The only opinions that matter are Adam's, Josh's and mine as we bestow badges of approval or disapproval on Batman Arkham Asylum. So how this works is that each of us will give Arkham Asylum a rating and that rating is a summary of our thoughts. It's either a pass, a play or an espionage explosion. One, two, three. A pass, we don't think you should play this game. A play, we think you should play this game. And an espionage explosion, we really think you should play this game. All rationale for ratings is entirely up to whomever is bestowing the badge of approval slash disapproval. And we change the order of badge bestowers on each episode. And this week, the order is as follows. It is Cullum, Adam and Josh. So, oh, 
I think this is a tricky one for me because the parts of this that I love and like, you know, loved and uh, I, I still love say the, the combat, the, the performances, um, the world of Arkham Asylum. Like I truly believe that a conversation for another time. And again, I haven't played them in a long time, but I do feel like the world's got a, a bit, maybe too big in, in, in future games, but I, I haven't played them in a long time. But I just feel like Arkham Asylum again, and I keep going back to this phrase, just laser focused. Uh, I, I love the comic book nature of the characters as well. There's a, there's a lot about this that I love. There are some things that have stand out to me as like, oh, that's a... I mean, again, like, as I said, like, I think the stealth is, is, is fine. The, the predator sections are, are okay, but they do feel like they're, they are definitely missing elements. And as I said, I, I think, you know, it, it's great that I can turn on detective mode whenever I want. But when you take a step back, you're like, ah, is it? Like, would it not be great if, if that was limited somewhat? I, I re- as I was playing this, I was like, God, I'm, I'm enjoying this so much. It's great to revisit this game. But I think ultimately I end up on a play and that's a strong play, the strongest play I can give. The, the elements of it that I loved, again, I, I, I truly do love. They're just certain things that they do improve in, in sequels, like, like the stealth gameplay. That, that becomes far, far better in future games. So yeah, it is a really, really strong play from me. So Adam, where do you end on Arkham Asylum? Uh, so going into this play through of the game again, I was for sure in my head going, ah, just like when we did Metal Gear, I was like, this is fucking, this is an espionage explosion. It just, it's going to be like this. I'm just going to be enjoying this game from start to finish. Um, I think there's so much great stuff going on. We've said it all here. All I'll say to anyone that is this episode, that if you were one of those people who go, oh, the asylum is one of the best things ever. Take on what we have said, because we are right, and just see where it lands, because it is mad. I am a humongous Batman fan, and playing this, I was kind of a bit bummed out by some parts, such as those boss fights. I can't see past them. I think, it, for me, it's it's a huge, huge miss on the game as a whole and it's it's a, it's a, it's it's gigantic to be honest like it, there's no excusing it at all but they make up for it in so many other parts such as the the interview tapes and the combat for the most part is great like then there's things like the gadgets not a whole pile of them there's more to come in, in the other games as well it's it's a, just a weird thing when they when they really were going for that kind of classic style batman thing I think this time around, though, I am also on a play and it is a strong play. And I myself am insanely surprised that I came out with that kind of outcome because, like, I was, as I said, I was like, this is an SPS explosion. Easy peasy. But here we are. This is what this is what this is all about. Josh Wise. I yeah, this is is kind of a weird one Um, because it's like, you know, with our thing, it's like, oh, we really think you should play this game. Well, I really think that you should play Batman Arkham Asylum. Um, but then there's a the whole thing about, 
do I really think you should play it if you're looking for stealth? Because, I mean, arguably, next to something like Splinter Cell, it's fully just a fucking pass. It's, like, not really a great stealth game by any stretch of the imagination. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a really fucking great game, and it changed the industry. And I I mean, it's yeah, I, I really... Yeah, it's... <laughs> Kind of go. It's an espionage explosion, I guess. I think. I think it's yeah, uh, yeah. Definitely play it. It's it's uh, it's phenomenal. Are you sh- you don't are you sure? Yeah. You don't sound too confident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just uh, just for me, it's like it's the intangibles that just push it over the edge. Like the idea that I would say to anyone that I like I really think you should play this game it's like yeah like absolutely obviously you have to play this game it changed the industry forever like like it's 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 but you know the one of the best possibly the best superhero game that's ever been made apart from the games that couldn't exist without it so yeah like like yes I, I would give it the highest possible recommendation I could it must be played it's an espionage explosion so that is Batman Arkham Asylum done and dusted so forget everything you just said because it doesn't matter anymore (laughs) all right because we need to turn our attention to the next episode of stealth boom boom where we are going to be looking at a game that had jeremy dunham of ign saying quote this is one of those rare kinds of games that overcomes gameplay shortcomings with its concept style and storyline Bethany Massamia of GameSpot said, quote, This game's dreamy, unsettling experience is ultimately marred by tedious trial and error based design. And Brian Stratton at GameSpy said, quote, For each thing that this game doesn't do well, there are two innovative ideas that make it worthy of high praise. We're coming up on the 20th anniversary of this game's launch in Japan. And given that we're in October, spooky month, We're looking at a spooky game. Yes, on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom, we're going to be discussing, reviewing, dissecting Forbidden Siren. You've resisted the temptation of the sirens for decades lying here. Everlasting life everlasting pain. The entire village has been dragged into this other dimension. This is not reality, nor is it the underworld. I'm scared. Where is everybody? Siren, or for any Americans that are listening and going, what are they? What are they talking about? What's Forbidden Siren? <laughs> it was just called Siren, where you were, which is actually better, by the way. It's like one of the one of the times I think the Americans kind of did us on that one. Like the Forbidden adds very little to its mystique. <laughs> <laughs> but as I always do, just get it getting a little taster. Adam Carroll, what's your history with Forbidden Siren? Uh, just knew the game and never played the original. I did play Siren Blood Curse. I don't know how that kind of comes into the... Yeah, it's a kind of a re- reimagining, I believe. But really, I was too late to ever really get a copy of Forbidden Siren back in the day. 
Josh, do, do you have any history with the Forbidden Siren slash Siren series? Uh, I knew all about it because I love Silent Hill. I still haven't. I, I bought it on PS4 and haven't played it. And it's, yeah, it's Kaichiro Toyama. I, I like, I know all about it. Don't know why. Haven't played it. Really excited to play it for next episode. Excellent stuff. So yeah, we're going to play that over the next fortnight. As Josh said, it's quite the easiest way to play it, I guess, is yeah, getting it on your your PlayStation and you can get the like remastered it for PlayStation mm. 4 and it's on the PSN. So you can get it there, play it, and then join us again in two weeks' time and hear us talk about it. Uh, I'm, I have no history with the Forbidden Siren series, so I'm looking forward to jumping in and seeing what this is like. As you said, Josh, from the minds that brought you Silent Hill. So we'll see how memorable Forbidden Siren is. But that just about does it for this episode of Stealth Boom Boom. Thank you very much, dear listener, for listening. Of course, if you enjoyed this podcast and you want more, subscribe to our lovely little podcast via all your podcatching apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Pocket Casts, etc., etc. Just search for us on there and you will most definitely find us. Also, please do rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice, be that an Apple podcast or a Spotify. Those things definitely help. So yeah, that would be great. Thank you. You can also follow Stealth Boom Boom on social media. We are at Stealth Boom Boom and you can find all of us individually as well. I am at Colum underscore Ahern. Adam is at Adam Zokes and Josh is at Joshy Wise. But now it is time for my least favourite part of the show. This is the part of the show where bid the listener Adieu. So say goodbye, Adam Carroll. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Josh Wise. Bye. And say goodbye, Colin Mahern. Sloan. Gaffone.